This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I am your host, Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger, um, your other host. We talk SVU crimes. We have celeb guests. It's a jam-packed episode, like always. Fan favorite episode. Can't wait. But I have huge news. What? So I went to our local dive bar yesterday, you know, Johnny's, uh-huh. and with a few of my friends, and it was bingo night, and I won bingo twice. Oh my gosh. I fucking <laughs> yes. love bingo. Um, I won dominoes and then my own little like bingo set, but the dominoes were such a good prize. Um, but yeah, I won once and everyone was mad, and then I won twice, and then people were kind of annoyed, but they were like, this is rigged. But I was just uh, lucky and fun. And she made my vodka soda so citrusy. I fucking love it there. (laughs) But again, I was home again by like 10 something. I was in bed by 11 p.m. Oh my God. This is crazy. A new girl. It's a new person. I went and did a show last night, but then I was home and everybody was a buzz on the internet. And I know, listen, we're always in the time machine now, but so this will be old news, but... Marishka it'd be Hargate- weird if we didn't mention it. It yeah. would be wild. Yeah. Mariska Hargitay did last night win the People's Choice Award for like best dramatic actress or something. Amazing. She looked great. Everyone's like, look at her hair. I'm like, yes, those are beautiful extensions. Her hair is like down past her tits practically. It's wild. She looks great. She's giving a great speech where I I don't I, I don't know. I didn't watch the show. I'm only looking at clips, but like I know she's talking about pro-choice stuff because she's like, Wow, another great word is choice, like talking about people's choice, but obviously talking about abortion. And then behind her, Kathy Hilton, who I get must have presented her with the award, whips out her purse and starts putting on lipstick behind Mariska Hargitay as she's accepting. It's so rude that it almost circles back around to being hilarious. Like, 
she's just the most clueless woman on the planet. Like, who even has their purse? Like, when you go present an award, when you see people at award shows, they have their purses on the red carpet, maybe. They're not, they don't have them on stage with them. You're also not doing lip gloss. And then people are trying to make excuses. Like, maybe she didn't think the camera would be on her. And it's like, you're standing right behind a person. Oh, it's also distracting. It's so rude. It's yeah. like, uh, instead of all eyes being focused on this speech and this person winning, they're looking at you now. I just don't think it's all innocent and clueless. I think she's an evil bitch. Like, you think I'm she's cr- doing that shit on purpose? Well, I wonder I think- if she's pro-life and she did, and she just wanted to like do something instead of listening to her talk about pro-choice. Yeah, stuff. but like inconsiderate people are bad people. So even if like clueless and inconsiderate, are they the same? No. I think she's inconsiderate. It's like, yes. you don't think of, someone is winning and like, you're on stage with a person giving a speech. Why are you digging in your purse and yeah. starting to lip gloss? It's inconsiderate. Like, I don't think it's it just is like, so huh, isn't she funny? She also kidnapped her daughter in the middle of the night and threw her into a juvie jail. So like, I don't see past that. Yeah, and, I haven't seen that all. But like, I, I honestly was thinking about it, how I thought Mariska would li- take it. And I was like, I bet Mariska will think this is funny. 100%. Even though it is rude. I'll defend her and she could laugh about it. <laughs> yeah. Like, it is crazy. Well, I think I'm also taking out my anger for the people who are like so... Everything is just so black and white in our culture now where it's just like, Lisa Renna's evil and Kathy Hilton's an angel. And that <laughs> kind of... Um, storyline makes me hate her, even if I don't truly. You know what I mean? Because it makes right. me be like, she's not an angel. She's, um, I just bet she's a pretty terrible person. I do. Kathy? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. But I'm sure Mariska doesn't care. And it's fine. And also, if it wasn't like pro-choice talk, if it wasn't about abortion, I don't think I'd be as fired up too. I'd be right. like, oh, whatever. But it was like right as she was trying to talk about abortion, that was like, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but congrats to our queen, Mariska. I'm glad she won, even though I don't know. I don't really even know People's Choice Award. Like, don't well, worry, darling. Vote. One. Yeah, it's like all based on people and fans and stuff. So I think that's kind of cool. Because Jennifer Aniston, I don't think ever won like an Emmy or anything and no one gave her respect. But that bitch cleaned up at the People's Choice Awards. (laughs) She is America's fucking sweetheart. People really liked her. I just don't like how much she peddles products now. And I get it, honey. Make your money. But you are probably worth like, what, $500 million? Like, yeah. you have a, a vitamins now and another hairline. It's like, I don't know, girl. She does so... uh, And then the water... Uh, yeah. yeah, but those are just ads. If we're talking ads, there's also a Vino. Oh, she makes her own products, you're saying? Yes. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, why wouldn't we want to sell, buy what she's selling? Everyone wants to be Jennifer yeah. Aniston. Oh, I, this is um just something little that I saw. But, but I really want those big Apple Bluetooth headphones. They look cool, and I heard they're noise-canceling, but they're like $500. Yeah, I just saw Ali Makovsky wearing them today on Instagram. They look hip, okay? Yeah, Dave Mazzoni is the one who got them. I was like, ooh. But the big problem is you can't use them on a plane, and that's usually where I use big ones. Oh, they don't even have a cord that comes with them? They don't, but listen to this. Um, On our last, there's no cord. But on our last flight, I saw a guy in front of me, and it's like a little attachment that you can plug into... The TV screen. So I texted Mazzoni immediately. He goes, you knew I needed this. And that makes me kind of excited for technology. 
And yeah, it like is a Bluetooth you can plug into your As you screen. say that, I'm like, I just saw a guy using it the other day and I was like, oh, hell yeah. Was it the guy on the flight? It was the guy that kept, we were in the lounge, the line with him. He was the one in the scooter. It was <laughs> him who had it. It wasn't him. But it I know him. <laughs> no, this was like multiple flights ago. I saw a guy with this and I go, oh my God, this is amazing because I'm so sick of on the airplane, like always pulling my thing out in the middle of the movie by accident. Like I would love to have my my wireless on. Um, so that's cool. So that, like, that is wild technology. The, yeah, the listeners to know that if that's something outside of the insane price tag that is keeping you from Bluetooth, yeah. the big headphones, there's a there's a compartment. Maybe it's like a big the big ticket item you ask for this holiday. Speaking of, this episode's wide releasing on December 20th. Happy Hanukkah. We're in the middle of Hanukkah. Happy almost Christmas. Happy everything else that you celebrate if you celebrate something else. Hope, happy holidays, Festivus. everyone. us for the rest of us. <laughs> um, yeah. What, I mean, I don't know. Do you have any holiday thoughts? <laughs> Do I have holiday thoughts? You know, I love when everyone, you know, whether it's Christmas or even the Super Bowl, which I'm not even a fan of, but I like when everyone's connected. Like, I like when everyone's doing the same thing at the same time. Yeah. Even if it's like a blizzard or a natural disaster, I'm like, we're all connected. Yeah. And uh, the pandemic the, in a weird way was like, wow, I'm having the same experience as someone in like New Zealand, India, like Japan, like all over the world. We were all having the same experience of being locked in our houses. Um, yeah. So I know what you mean. Well, and still in China. I mean, those videos <laughs> of people being dragged out of their apartments. I know. I don't, I can't. It's I mean, Hunger Games-esque. Yeah. <laughs> it's Hunger Games-esque. Yeah, I love Christmas. I also am someone that did movie th movies for Christmas growing up. So like, I love an American Christmas. I want the, the pajamas. I want a lounge. I want to watch the movies. I want a stocking. Like, I love it all. Yeah. And I'm doing, um, my, my good friends invited three brunette Jews to their house. So we're gonna... Just like go to I our friend's that. house. And I already uh, pre-ordered Magnolia banana pudding and cupcakes delivery and my Italian Sherco's pastry shop cookies to arrive on Christmas Eve. So, because everyone else oh is cooking gosh. and I'm not. I'm not cooking. So I don't cook and I don't clean and I don't help, but I will spend $200 on premium desserts to be shipped directly to the house. Yeah. And that's... That's my uh, that's my step in the game. That's what I, I've always done that as a kid, even. Like, I would be like, I'll give you money. If you go do it, I'll pay for it. Like, I just don't want to do anything. Yeah. I'm happy I, to pay. My family loves a, my The kids like to go out to a movie on, like, Christmas night. Like, the night after Christmas is, after the oh, meal cute. or whatever. We go out to a movie. Like, I remember we all went to go see Django one year. We saw The Favorite a few years ago. Like, we always go to a movie. That's cool you still do it. Mine is such a memory of my past. What would you see this Christmas? I don't know. What's what's out, coming out this Christmas? Like, oh my like, God. Everyone... like Tarantino like releases movies on Christmas, I feel like, all the time. Um, I swear, I, every time someone goes, oh my God, this movie's amazing, I go, I have not even heard of it. Uh, someone at the bar yesterday was like, this movie, it's the best, it's the best. And I'm like, I did not even... I haven't even seen one ad, one tweet, nothing about it. And it's like so, it's so different because also like movies are coming out for like a week and then streaming, you know, like all the like things are coming out. Like I heard that movie Spirited, that holiday movie was very good. 
Um, well, that well, you can always watch it. You know what I yeah, mean? So that's exactly. what's like very I'm kind fun. of looking really quick to see if I can find anything that's Something was out. like, baby, I love you. Or like, baby, it takes two. Like something baby, I feel. But people like Triangle of Sadness. Um, I mean, I still want to see Pearl. I haven't seen my Halloween movies of this year yet. I so know. that's where I'm... Uh, I do want to so see. Stuck. I do want to see the menu. That looks good. That that was talked about yesterday at the bar. Yeah, the menu. They yeah. said it's a dark comedy. It's yeah, a dark comedy. And I would like to see that. And I can't think. Oh, of- and Casey just did flag us her little ten minute thing, which reminded me. I did for some reason, whatever. Go through all of our one star reviews just to see, just to see what's <laughs> up. And I'd like to say, if you don't like the intro or us talking about non-SVU stuff, you know what you can do? Fast forward it, you dumb fucks. How about that? (laughs) You don't know how to fast forward. You don't know how to go ahead. It's like, God, they don't stop talking. And it's like, yeah, just go. I I listen to lots of podcasts where I fast forward through segments I don't love. Sometimes I don't even, oh, this crime's not for me. I'm actually, I'm not going to listen. I would never go and be like, whatever. If you don't like the intro... Of our own podcast, fucking fast forward it. I'm sure it's none of you that are listening today. My favorite was one person like hates the podcast, but gave it 46 episodes. They gave it 46 tries, <laughs> which is which is incredible. <laughs> and it never was good enough. No, um, it's never. Good I enough. love that. I mean, that's my favorite thing. Um, but if you do like us and you want to come see us live, I'm always, you know, it's me, your weekly hawking of our tour dates. We are going to be in Philadelphia on January 19th, in New York City on the 20th. Although I believe that show is sold out, but you never know. Sometimes when we post the homework, people will trade tickets underneath. So mark it in your calendar. You might be able to get a ticket. Um, the 21st, we're going to be doing two shows in Boston, a 4 p.m., I believe, and a 7 p.m., and then we're in Hartford on the um, 20... What, what day am I on? 22nd. I also forgot we're in Indianapolis on the 12th. And we just announced we're coming to Vancouver for Just for Laughs Vancouver on February 20th. I think we'll also both be around doing a few stand-up shows around those dates as well. So all that shit's on thatsmesseduplive.com, guys. Go get some tickets. Come see us in Canada. Come see us in... Uh, in on and, the East Coast and in Indianapolis. And it would be fucked up if we did not mention Christy Alley. I know she's been questionable with her brain and mouth uh, recently in the past few years. But what a superstar. Yeah. Meant a lot to both of us, um, comedically, acting, hair, beauty, um, everything. So yeah, and, and wishing the best just- for her family. Yes, for sure. Sending, like, you know, love to her kids. And um, and we just reviewed her book on Chelsea Devontes' Celebrity Book Club. If you're interested in remembering Kirsty, go back and listen yeah. to our episode. I mean, but two things. said it was the worst book ever and she hated it. It wasn't and a great book. Chelsea said it was the worst she'd read. All these things can be true. She can be a bad memoirist and a Trumpy Scientologist but also a huge part of my childhood, an amazing, an amazing actress. She was amazing on Cheers. Look who's talking. All kinds of things. She was huge. I'll Famously, say mine. Yeah. Um, it Takes Two. I loved that one. And um, I really loved For Richer and Poorer. And Tim Allen's also become a maniac um, or could have always been, who knows. But um, the, the For Richer and Poorer really played a lot in the Traeger household. 
And ours, my family was obsessed with a movie called Madhouse. It was a PG-13 movie about too many guests coming to visit a house at the same time and the people going crazy. And it's from 1990. It's her and John Larroquette, an SVU alum. And it's amazing. It's so crazy. But we watched it so much. I don't know if it was like on HBO a lot, but we were just watching it all the time. Love it. She was a, she was truly a hero of mine. She made me want to be a single mom when I watched Look Who's Talking. I was 11. I didn't know really what being a single mom entailed. I just thought, who needs a man? This looks like fun, her and the baby. Um, yeah, oh, which, oh gosh. You know, hopefully by the new year, Kara will be have caught up on White Lotus oh, so we can yes. talk about it. I know, I'm sorry. It's like, I just I, don't. I just listened to Megan Fahey on Les Culturistas today to... Uh, in the car. And she brought up SVU a little bit, which was exciting. Oh, okay. Excuse yeah. me. Well, because they were talking about guest starring and if she's been on a, like this other show and she went, no, my big moment was SVU. So I like that she gave the shout out. Okay. So let's get started because I'm yeah. obsessed with this episode. This episode, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this episode's huge. So just so you know, you may have seen us do this in a live show, but I think our recap today is going to be different. Um, and... We're so excited to bring you this classic. Stay tuned. Zebras, season 10, episode 22. Um, we've done this live a couple times. Yeah, if you've seen us do this baby live, still listen, because I think we're going to have different opinions and not opinions, but <laughs> observations. <laughs> we we'll pretty much always feel the same about this episode. It's a classic. We we in case you don't know when we go on tour, we do episodes that usually aren't based on a crime. We try to do classics, but as I was going through a bunch of different episode, a bunch of our different resources that we use to see what stuff is based on, I noticed that there is a case that this is based on, so we decided to do it for the pod and we got a cool guest, so it's all coming together and Zebras is happening when it's supposed to happen. But we've done it on the road and we hope that you enjoyed that if you saw it. Yeah, I, yeah I'm yeah, i excited. It's, it's pretty guest forward, I would say. Yeah. A clue, but <laughs> not too specific of a clue. Listen, we open up on rollerbladers that are very into safety. And guess what? Kara knows one of the bladers. Yes. The blader is my friend Kevin, who is... We've known each other. We took UCB classes together and we just kind of have stayed in touch like over that we won't talk for a couple years and then we'll hang out. Like we've hung out in all different cities. We'll meet up and like, we've seen each other in Chicago, now in uh, Madison. Like we just saw him at our live show in Madison because he is a Broadway baby. He tours all over right now in the touring uh, cast of Come From Away. So if you've seen Come From Away in your city, he plays the mayor of the town as well as other parts because everyone plays a million parts in the show. But he's the best and he is the one getting to live our dream of rolling rollerblading into, you know, a body. Yeah, and there's helmets, knee pads, elbow pads, wrist guards, and the daughter's pissed. She's like, why do we even have to do this? Like, we clearly <laughs> suck at this, dad. Like, why can't we do something else? And he's like, we're having fun. And then he starts rolling down a hill bridge in Central Park. Um, he's not ready for that kind of incline. And he falls into a bush. And then after his daughter pulls him out, they see that he's covered in full-on blood, but it's not his blood. So then it's like, I, the daughter's smart. She's like, I don't see a cut. I would never look for a cut. I would just be like, oh, you're bleeding. I don't know. It's just <laughs> like, I wonder if she's in, in nursing school or something. 
That's a good point. And then um, they start looking in the bush. Where's the blood coming from? The daughter shrieks so loud, obviously a dead body. And from the scream, we cut straight to Benson and Stabler on the scene. Stabler's wearing a baseball hat, and I think it's hot. And <laughs> that's that. Um, and their first lines on the scene are, Stucky, what's up? And this is a Stucky episode, so trigger warning, <laughs> trigger warning. And Stucky is played by Noel Gallagher. No. <laughs> Is it Noel Gallagher from Oasis? Noel Fisher. (laughs) Yeah. Noel Fisher. That would be so funny if it was played by one of the guys from Oasis. Yeah. I don't think that's that crazy of a mix-up. No, it just made me laugh (laughs) because the Gallagher brothers are like these weird brothers that fight each other. I know. They're such dorks. Um, (laughs) They're such dorks. So yeah, Noel Fisher. um, I know him really well from Shameless and he's he's an incredible actor, but this is one of the most hated characters of all time and it is what I it think is. That, it shows how much, how good he is because you want to kill him. But then everybody that you meet that like knows him or has seen him in other stuff like is obsessed. So all of our comments about Stucky are about Stucky. Don't come for us, Noel Fisherheads. We realize he's a good person. So Noel Fisher in Shameless plays this character whose sister is, no, is Ellie Porter, Noah Porter's birth mother. Oh, wow. So they play siblings. Okay. Yeah, they're the Milkoviches. Cool. I've yeah. never seen like a second of Shameless. I got to watch it. Yeah, Mickey and Mandy Milkovich. So Stucky starts to fill them in and it's early 30s and then he goes, just buku lacerations. <laughs> and you told me that's a word in French, but I totally yeah, buku thought it was just slang. Means a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was slang, like buku bucks. Like it just always seemed like slang to me and I just thought it was so disrespectful to the dead woman, but I guess it is a real French word. I think his tone is very disrespectful. He's acting way too excited for a woman that has many lacerations. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I wrote she's slashed to hell. So maybe I'm Stucky too. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm disrespectful to this dead woman. A2 Stucky. Yeah. Um, deep stab wounds. Um, Kansas driver's license. Her name is Rachel, 32 years old. Benson notices she has her wedding ring still on, so probably not a robbery. Stucky leans down and he has his own theory. And he's like, what if she's in cahoots with the mafia. This is a message. And Stabler's like, somebody is seeing zebras. And Stucky's like, huh? And Benson explains, if you hear hoofbeats in Central Park, don't think zebras. And he points to a guy on a horse and is like, do you think this guy did it? (laughs) I think that's funny. So (laughs) Stabler sighs deeply like, you idiot. She just means the answer is usually the simplest explanation. And he's like, it's probably a casual stranger rape. She fought back. He cut her, um, but then, you know, died of shock. Benson moves the victim's arm, though, and on her forehead in red blood, it says guilty. Or lipstick. I'm not really sure, but it says guilty. And in her hand is a pacifier. She had a baby with her. Fuck. So everyone just runs off, starts looking for a baby. The baby's in the stroller, alive. And on the baby's forehead, it says innocent. Benson exclaims, damn, maybe we are looking for a zebra credits. Yeah, I just feel bad for zebras because they are so cool, but they're no one's number one animal. I think we talked about this at one of our lives. They are so one of the wildest animals when you just see them. Because I don't understand how that's camouflage anywhere. So it's just like when you think of like whoever created animals, you're like, wow. Whether you believe that's God, whether you believe that's evolution, I'm just kind of like, how did zebras get in there? But I know, you know. but like if I if I was going to a safari, I would be like, can't wait to see giraffes and elephants. Even the <laughs> zebras are so cool, but they're no one's that's favorite. True, you're right. What is no that like? 
no one's like, can't wait to go to Botswana and see the zebras. It's always just like, can't wait to see a lion. And they look just like cats. Who cares about lions? I mean, I do. I would love it. But I'm just saying it's (laughs) weird that zebras are not more popular since they're so beautiful. Totally. And unique. They have a lot to bring to the table. (laughs) Okay. So we open up. (laughs) Zebra rights. (laughs) We're back. Well, yeah, I just know that there is a funny joke about zebras from childhood, you know, what's white and black and and red all over or something. Like a zebra in a blender or something? I was a sunburnt zebra. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine is so violent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the blender, going straight to blender is crazy. We open up back on a nurse holding the baby and we hear voices like, damn, who would do this? And Benson's like, maybe you can tell us. So we see that it's the dad of the baby and the detectives are behind him. And they ask the guy, did your wife have trouble with anybody? And he's like, we don't know anybody in New York. I went to a talk on hydroponics. Cool. Rachel took Evan to Central Park to take pics, um, but they didn't find a camera. And that really upsets him. He's like, please, we took photos all weekend. I need those photos. Those are our last photos. Please find my camera. We're back on the scene and yay, the camera was found, but by Stucky. And he's like, this is a shitty camera who gives a shit. And it's like, fuck you, bro. Not where it's for the pictures, you know? So they have to explain to this dumbass, like, so like zero, if there's bedside manner for a CSU tech, he has like negative, like he just doesn't have any common sense. Well, I wonder if it's like also a clue to his sociopathy or like that he's a psycho that in his head, he's not like, oh, the husband would like to look at photos of his dead wife. The last moments are on earth of his wife. Yeah. Instead, it's like, this camera sucks. Was this even worth the overtime pay? Like he's just not connected (laughs) to humanity. Well, that's why he's a scientist. Most doctors and scientists are pretty cut off from yeah people. Um, yeah, come out, come at me. I believe what I'm saying. Doctors, <laughs> even your mom. No, uh, your mom is so sweet. <laughs> so they recovered most of the photos, and nine minutes after the last photo was taken is when the rollerbladers called the cops. So what happened? And Stucky says, "If only babies could talk, right?" And it's like, yeah, there was a movie about that, which is really good. <laughs> Look who's talking. Yeah, the best, one of the best. One of the best movies of all time. And you know, famously, a movie that made me want to be a single mom. <laughs> when I was growing up, I love that movie so much. And I was like, yeah, the dad is an asshole. Like, I just want to have a baby and have me be me and the baby. I loved Kirstie Alley with the baby. I was like, that's it. I'm going to be a single mom. I mean, I obviously had no idea what that entailed. But I was like, take men out of it. Me and the baby. That's so cute. <laughs> um, O'Halloran does find a clue in the photos. Uh, there were there were a bunch of people in orange vests working, department and employees. They are at now asking a guy, and this man at the park responds to Finn and Munch, um, is going, no, they're public service guys. Finn asks if they're scales, which means bottom feeder, parasite, low-life con artist type. I did look it up. Oh. Uh, and he's like, oh no, uh, these are like public intox boys, fair beats, chill criminals. So they ask if any of the people were suspicious, if he saw anything. He didn't notice anything, but he's down to give all the info on all the morning crew. And they're actually all at the boathouse painting, except for one guy, Peter Harrison, who had to go home early because he was bleeding. He cut himself on a glass bottle. He's doing 90 hours of community service for menacing, which does not seem like a chill crime at all. He does not belong with people that are just not paying for their train tickets. He actually 
try to push a woman off a subway platform. And one of my biggest fears. And Benson and Stabler go visit Peter at his home. They knock, knock, show the badge and the peephole. And the voice on the other end is not impressed. And he's like, if you don't have a warrant, I don't give a fuck. And Benson's like, we're just here to talk about your injury since you got it performing court-ordered stuff. And we just need to see what's up. He opens the door just to crack, chain still on, sticks his thumb out covered in duct tape. And he goes, I'm fine. He um, is a munch vibe of a man. Uh, satellite surveillance, NYPD's dirty tricks. He goes on and on. And um, they decide to prey on his paranoia. Sabre's like, oh, awesome. So you obviously know about Rule 1063. And he lies and then convinces him to go and sign a form. And the guy is really tricked. And he's in the interrogation room. And Benson and Stabler are like, actually, we want to clear some stuff up. Like, why are you trying to murder women on the train platform? And he's like, you don't even get it. She was an operative. She had headphones on with no music, which is like so scary that that's a sign for someone to fully attack you and think you're an operative. Yeah, because I just like to listen to what people are talking about. I'm a snoop. So then they bring up this woman in the park and he was like, oh my God, she was taking photos of me. She was going to geotag me um, and let everyone know my um, location. And then, you know, the black helicopters were going to come down. So then he, so he approached this woman and he searched her first. And then she, she, he saw wires and she wasn't cooperating with him, but he ordered her to abort the mission. And in that moment, his attorney walks in and says, and I abort this interrogation. And she grabs Peter and says, let's go. And he's like, oh, I have to sign for the DD5. And the lawyer opens the folder and it's a menu for a chicken shack. And he's not happy that he was tricked. And Benson's like, listen, we actually don't need him to say anything. We have a warrant. So we're at his home and Stucky's making fun of him and is confused why this dude only has one plate, one cup, one fork. And uh, munches. But do you think Stucky has friends? Like maybe he has more plates and forks and knives, but there's no way he has friends. Yeah, you don't think he's entertaining. Yeah. I, I don't even understand how a person like Stucky would operate in New York City. Like that, in a way, Stucky, I appreciate what a bad character he is. I like where we're going, but he is a departure for the show of this kind of character. We've never had such a cartoonish wackadoo. Who is like Stucky in the SVU universe? I feel like who's that guy that's in Law and Order? who is in Blackish, Anthony Anderson. Yeah. He was annoying to me, like over the top, but n- n- that was only one episode. Yeah, but like someone with like no social skills who's made it to the top of this field in New York City where you have to imagine that like, I bet you he is, he, he's just one of these people that's just like very book smart and just has zero social skills. And that's like the problem with him. But we find out later, spoiler, if you've watched already, he's unhinged. So I don't know. I just wonder, like, is he in a book club? Who are his friends? Like, can you imagine him walking down the street, going to Starbucks, like living life in New York? I don't see it, but you know, whatever. So Munch is on this guy's laptop and is like, damn, this dude is paranoid as fuck. And he has all these websites open about surviving gang stalking and 911 truth, 911, 9-11 truthers, um, Vatican stuff. And Finn opens the closet and it's Pepper Ann style, just five shirts, pants, um, all the same, all black, but six pairs of shoes. Um, and so the sixth outfit is missing, but why not the shoes? And that's a huge mistake. And he actually has a knife in one of the shoes. And we cut to the lab. O'Halloran's explaining to Stabler that Melinda sent him the results and the blood on the knife is the victim's. So then Stabler's there and he starts to say Stucky's catchphrase and he's like, bing, bang. And before he can finish, O'Halloran's like, please stop. Please don't say it. (laughs) Um, 
There's also blood on the sh- on the guy's shoe as well. And Stabler's like, this guy is toast. His defense lawyer walks in though and is, um, and I guess she's just allowed in the lab whenever she wants. And she barely, um, right. That seems, that's suspicious to quote Cardi B. That's weird. Like why, like lawyers shouldn't be allowed in there. She could swipe anything she wanted off the fucking counter. Oh, she confidently just marches right in with not a care in the world. So she says, um, barely, guys. I mean, you interrogated a mentally ill man without counsel. And, um, you know, he's incompetent and he can't wave Miranda. And Stabler's like, why are you here? And she says she wants to make sure you don't play fast and loose with the evidence, too. And Ryan's like, we don't play games here. And he says, we have the victim's DNA on your client's knife. Like, done and done. So she finally starts to look nervous and stunned and is like, oh, my God, really? Let me see the paperwork. He hands it over. She looks through the file and then smiles. And she's found a contamination. He says, no way. And she's like, well, the evidence number from the murder and from my client's apartment are both listed under the same voucher number. And that's a big no-no. Stabler grabs the file and fuck. And Ryan goes, stucky. And lawyer, uh, the lawyer says, commingled evidence. I love the word commingled. <laughs> lawyer says, commingled evidence. So my client walks right out the door. Sleep tight, gentlemen. And she walks off. And Stabler says, I'll kill him. And Ryan says, I'll dump the body. Which means they're best friends. So Stabler runs <laughs> off. Stabler runs off to try and save the case. Where does he run? Judith Light's house. Judge Elizabeth Donnelly opens the door in a white silk robe um, and bedhead, and she's very happy to see Elliot's sexy ass in the doorway. And he says, hey, this isn't a social call. And she she goes, well, that's highly improper. And then says, and a pity. So she wants to fuck him so hard. It's wild. I never clocked this until here, like, when the minute she opens the door, she sees Stabler, like she gets Judith Light horn dog eyes. Like her <laughs> eyes like soften up and she's like, oh, Elliot. Like, and she's like, what a kawinky dink. I'm in my robe. Like, it's so funny to me. Um, but he explains, he's like, I actually just need some help um, with this case. She's like, you know, listen, your department runs on the notion of credible DNA. So if the results are unreliable. That would be disastrous and overturn hundreds of convictions. So you got to talk to Cabot and see if getting this perp is really worth setting a lot of guilty people free. And so we're at arraignment and the court hasn't started yet. Stucky runs in and pleads with Benson and Saber like, I didn't fuck it up. And they're like, okay, well, the defense is going to argue you did. Like, we don't care. And we bring in Peter, and it's time to decide what they're going to do with this killer. And we meet an ADA named Kristen Torres for the people. Cabot's stuck in traffic, so she couldn't make it. And Julia Zimmer, the defense is like, or she didn't want to be like a laughing stock, and you know, with this career ender of a case. Um, but... The defense attorney calls for a full dismissal. Stucky is so sad. He's furrowed crybrow vibes. And reacting to what's happening, he's so stressed out. And defense asks, like, to come back when they have a better case. And the judge is down. And it's like, gavel, dismiss, dismiss, without prejudice. Stucky yells, you can't dismiss. He's guilty, Your Honor. And the judge leans in and smiles and goes, oh, you must be Dale Stucky. And his response is that he's good at his job. And the judge is like, you're deluded if this is your definition of doing a good job. You're in the wrong line of work. And he cries, you don't know me. And she quickly says, and I don't care to sit down and shut 
shut up. She tells him, you're free to go to Peter. And Peter says something about mind control and her being a beacon of hope. And she's like, save it. You're a murderer walking on a technicality. And if it were up to me, you'd be in the nut house where you belong. And then Stucky with the biggest balls ever yells out, you're the nut for letting him go. And Benson and Stabler in unison turn around to stare at him with their mouths on the floor like, oh my God, bro, don't do that. And Judge Donnelly asks, is everyone crazy today? Five minute recess. And then she gavels again and goes, people, take your meds. And I like that. Julia Zimmer says, thanks, Dale. We couldn't have done it without you. A real twist in the knife in his gut of embarrassment. And Stabler to Peter says, we'll be watching you as he walks out of the courtroom. Dale looks sad. He then runs down the court steps yelling for the detectives as, um, you know, they put sunglasses on and walk down really sexy on the court steps. And they don't have time for him. They're like, you botched an open and shut case, bro. And that's that. And he says, I didn't do anything wrong. And it's like, just admit it. If he yeah. just said, I made a mistake, I fucked up, like that would be better. Sabler says, what we're all thinking um, with, with what I just said. And he's just like, yeah, it's always I, I, me, me. Like just apologize and take ownership, bro. You did fuck up. He calls him selfish and says, I'm going to do anything I can to get you run out of CSU until you're working at the motor pool where the only thing you can screw up is an oil change. Um, Stabler walks off in a huff. And Benson is like little miss good cop and says, bro, people make mistakes. We just have to figure out a way to fix it. And he says, how? Um, and he's walking away and Benson goes, oh, Harrison has a shadow. Two of them, in fact. And Finn and Munch are following Harrison down into the subway and wildly we're in Coney Island. <laughs> a busy, busy day at the here, um, amusement park. And Finn and Munch are full sunglasses in black. They look like goths at a carnival. And there's an Aladdin-style fire-spitting sword guy. Um, and the killer enters a haunted house. And the detectives cut the line and hop in as well. And we laugh about this pretty hardcore on the live show because it's like, why don't you just wait at the end of the haunted house? <laughs> like, it's so crazy. Like, why are you riding the ride? <laughs> one of you take the exit, one of you take the entrance. There's only a couple ways in and out of this haunted house at Coney Island. No, they like fully didn't, like they could have closed the ride down, but they, <laughs> they, I guess they're just following him. But like they did the ride and it looked like a great haunted house. Like, the, you know, it was ghoulish. There was like fun stuff, but... <laughs> I just, so they lose him, obviously. And it's just like, it's funny to look for someone in sunglasses and Finn is wearing ladies' frames for sure. Yeah, they're both wearing sunglasses inside a haunted house. Like, I'm. How, however did you lose him? Like, what? <laughs> just silly. And the fact that like you get out of court and you just run to Coney Island is really funny to me too. If there's people that listen to this podcast, because people do tell us they listen and they don't watch... You got to just go on and look at this. The way that Finn and Munch look coming out, being teacupped out of a haunted house in a little spinny ride, both wearing sunglasses, frantically looking for the killer that they've lost is, mwah, it's like chef's kiss television moment. I love it. I know. It's really wild that we haven't enticed you to watch yet. I mean, I'm glad you're just <laughs> obsessed with us, but so wild. <laughs> so we're at the precincts. We're not, we're no longer in Coney Island and it's Stabler yelling like, I can't believe they fucking lost him. And Huang and Benson are there with him. And Huang says, yeah, it's going to be hard to find him because he's so paranoid and believes all eyes are on him. So he's like got a lot of places to hide and he's a pro at hiding. So then it's okay. He's out there hiding. Like what else can we do? Marishka suggests picking him up on a mental hygiene war 
warrant. So then it's like, we just got to get a judge to civilly commit him. And Huang is like, I can make that happen. And Cragen walks up and says, it's too late for that because they found another victim. Sad. So they cut to a very, very bloody woman cut up in a flannel shirt under the pier near Coney Island. And Munch finds her ID. She's Annie Mae Lawson, 29. Finn greets uh, Benson and Stabler as they walk on the sand in full business outfits, just ties swinging over the sand. And he's pissed they lost him. And Finn is like, do you not see the thousands of people around here? Like, of course we lost him. We tried our best. So then Munch is like, maybe it's someone else. And Stabler's like, shut up. <laughs> like, he's not having it. Of course it's this guy. Stucky comes out from under the pier with a can of cola and there's a nice bloody fingerprint. So that's good. Okay, and then it's like a really cool shot where Stucky's in the middle of Stabler, Munch, Finn, and Benson. And I bet this is like a huge day in the actor's life though. Like whoever, who else gets to stand in the middle of all four detectives over them? Like that must have been a cool moment. Like a fun day at work. Yeah. Because they're usually broken up into doubles and stuff. So it's just kind of, Nice. So Stucky found out that he's part of some online communities and maybe that's a way in to find someone he knows. Um, and he loves the website persecuteyou.com. <laughs> and it's an online university that helps you fight back. And he bragged online about the crime and that he defeated NYPD mind control. Um, but how is he posting and running? So someone named Gwendolyn is chatting with him on the site. So maybe we can find him through her. And Munch goes, okay, well, I know her, so I'll I'll do this. And he says that he knows her from a JFK assassination site. And she has some great pictures of the grassy knoll. <laughs> So he goes to meet her at Overthrow Bookstore. And I used to go to a place called Overthrow Boxing. So I kind of like that. Okay. And it's a f it's fucking Carol Kane. Beloved Classic. actress. I love her so much. She's, My favorite thing she's in, because it's the holiday season coming up, Scrooged. I'm obsessed with Scrooged. She's one of the ghosts. I love her so much. Yeah, Carol's beloved. Uh, film, TV, animation, stage. Yeah. And she has like a really signature voice. A lot of blonde curls are cute. And she's smiling and she's happy to see Munch. He's not on the forum anymore. He's retired from that. But he's underground working on exposing the truth. And she's like, it's got to be so bad. You know, with all these cell towers, they're watching us. And he says that they're on to Peter and they're trying to find him. And she's like, oh, you know him? And he's like, oh, yeah, I heard him give a great talk on Homeland Security. And it's like, where is he booking talks? Like he's, <laughs> he's just a Joe Schmo, yeah. you know? She says he knows too much and that's why they're after him. And then she shows um, like a newspaper and he's on the cover of it. She catches someone spying on them through a bookcase and it's Finn and Munch turns around and yells, this is a private conversation. And she says, damn, you always made me feel so safe, John. He has to get down to business, though. He's like, listen, I got to find Peter. She's hesitant. He lies. She gives it up. So she says that he's running and he has followers that are helping him. And he says, trust me, you know what we meant to each other. And she gives more information and says that he's at an empty store on 88th and Broadway. He rents the basement and he turned it into a safe room. He starts to leave and Gwendolyn gets up and is like, maybe we could be together again. Um, I'm back on my meds. And he's like, no, I have to go. And she begs him to stay. And then Finn is like, oh, you sly dog making moves on Luna ladies. And Munch walks by and goes, that's my ex-wife. So, dun dun. I don't know. Um, that's fun and exciting. We meet a wife. Yeah. Have we met others of his ex-wives? We've heard them no. referenced. No. She's the only one we meet. To my knowledge. Yeah. Um, so Finn is in the warehouse with Stabler in this basement and there's guns and flashlights and Peter's in there. And um, then he he's like hiding. 
and then he pushes a shelf on them. And he's like, the judge said, leave me alone. And they're like, that's before you decided to kill somebody. So he says he didn't kill anyone in Coney Island, but they're like, we have a fingerprint. And he says, I didn't kill you. You did it to yourself. And he pulls on a rope that's hanging from the ceiling and liquid and smoke happen and our boys are coughing. They're struggling. But also Finn is like bending down into the smoke fumes. Um, We're back from a commercial break and our boys in blue are okay. And Finn is like, honey, I've shared a car with Finn for a long time and I've smelled a lot worse. Oh, Halloran's on the scene. He's like, no, listen, you guys, joke, all jokes aside, you're lucky to be alive. A couple more seconds breathing that gas. It's hydrogen sulfide. You'd be dead. And Sucky yells, bam, detergent suicide. He escaped from a secret route. So it's like, fuck, missing again. But Sailor has an idea who can help find Peter. So we run to the defense attorney and she's like, babe, even if I knew where he was, you know, I can't tell you. And in her desk, there's like tons of bouquets and flowers and gift baskets. So I wonder what celebration has recently happened that everyone's gotten her so many gifts. And they go, um, he's on a murder streak. And she's like, listen, if he contacts me, I'll urge him to turn himself in. But you have to do your job and I'll do mine. And it's like, we're not a team, bitch. Um, her view is good. She is rich. Stabler is like, doing my job got me, almost got me killed. And she softens a little. She's like, I'm sorry. He's just, he's never been this delusional before. I've tried to get him on meds, but he refuses. And Benson goes, wow, you really care about him. And she explains that she's known Peter since he was 17. His parents were killed in a plane crash and she got him a good settlement. Thank God, you know, Girardi wasn't the lawyer Yeah, I was here. just going to say, she was his Girardi, but a good one, Yeah. Um, and, uh, she was actually his trustee until he turned 21 and she, she wants to take care of him and help him. And she knows that he could be a danger to himself in the community, but she's the lawyer. And so like the detectives know this and she's doing the best she can. So they're like, maybe, you know, someone else that can help us. Someone whose hands aren't tied. And she remembers a professor at the Gotham School of Fine Arts, Edgar Radzinski. The detectives are now doing a windy walk and talk with the teacher. He hasn't seen him in months, but he wishes he would come to him for help. He's sad to hear that he has killed two people and he could tell his illness was getting worse. His work is always dark, but this week, damn, the shadows were extra spooky. And they're like, what new works? This week? You said you haven't seen him. And he's like, no, 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 I haven't seen him. But the paintings, yes. He comes into the studio at night and then he's always gone by the morning. Just a little vampire artist. And they go <laughs> um, look at his paintings and Benson says, wow. <laughs> Teacher's like, incredible, right? And Stabler's <laughs> like, Eh, it's like the D Dante's Inferno meets Newsweek. And the teacher's pissed. He's like, a collage isn't just for school children. And I love collaging. So I'm with this little teacher. <laughs> and he talks about the power of the medium and then says how 9-11 is the trigger that really fucked Peter up. After the towers fell, he became obsessed and became super anti-government and it took over his work. And then Benson sees one work of art that has a lot of clues in it. And so we're now back at the precinct with the painting and Stucky's holding it up being like, damn, this is like, a confession that Liv and Elliot didn't get. What? Oh, so stupid. <laughs> Um, then starts analyzing out loud and the crew hates him. They're like, you're in the wrong building. Oh, are you just going to solve the crime for us? And then he's like, come on, it's super clear. These are the faces of the guys he's going to kill next. And Saber says, why don't you put it down before you contaminate more evidence? And then to respond to that, he's like, well, one of these people look like Liv. And it does. It straight up looks like Liv and at her homecoming. Is it Liv or is it not? I don't know. I can't tell. It looks like Liv dressed as a beauty queen. I'm sure it's like a lookalike, but I don't, you know, but it does look like her. 
Um, Stabler grabs him and says, you're an obnoxious little jackhole. And Cragen tells um, Stabler to let him go. And he does. Um, and, and then Cragen's like, get out of here. And then Stabler walks back to live. And then Stucky tells Cragen that Stabler assaulted him and that he has to write him up. And it's like, don't tell Cragen what to do. He's just such a fucking piece of shit. Cragen, I mean, I mean, he has like the vibes of like freedom of speech, man. It's like, no, if you run your mouth, you might get hit. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. It's someone that just is not into any consequences at all. Cragen says the only one getting a rip around here is you, Dale. Stucky persists like, he accosted me. And Cragen's like, babe, I'm not doing paperwork. Please leave. And Stucky is sad. Benson interrupts and is like, oh my God, listen to this. And on the phone, we hear the defense attorney going, I know you're angry. Please calm down. Um, so he's obviously in the office trying to hurt her. And she's smart. And she calls undercover. And you hear her going, I'm your friend. So now we're in person at the office. And Benson and Stabler are, you know, hiding, sneaking in. And Peter is yelling at her, like, I can't trust anyone. People are following me. I can't see them, but I know they're there. And Stabler and Benson are watching in, and they push in as he talks about mind control. And she's yelling, no, Peter. And she um, says he was thrown off by the paper with his face that says uh, madman on the loose, which I think would get anyone kind of stressed out. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, no one would love that. And Benson's like, well, tomorrow it'll say the city is safe again. And it's like, until next week's episode, honey. So Zimmer, though, she's conflicted um she like you know did she do the right thing as a lawyer but you had to so you had to help yourself babe he yells traitor and says you'll pay and stabler walks him off cuffed Stabler puts him in the backseat and Zimmer's like, I'll meet you at the precinct. But when she gets into her car, it starts filling with gas and it's hissing gas and the doors are locked. She can't get out and she's coughing, honking, trying to get help. The detectives run back to help her and Peter's in the backseat groaning and says, I tried to warn her. And Stabler finally bashes the glass open um, in Julia's car to help get her out, but it's too late. She's already dead. And Peter screams death to all betrayers. So then backup arrives and Stabler passes Peter off. Um, and says, take zombie boy with you. Zimmer gets moved onto a stretcher as O'Halloran approaches the detectives to gossip about science. But she is dead as hell. Like, she gets moved yes. and she is dead. Like, it's shocking. It's like at the top of the act, next act, and you're like, oh, I guess she didn't make it? Like, I, I was shocked. Oh, I thought you, I thought we knew she was dead on arrival when that gas just, uh, I just don't know how quick gas works. I always thought they broke the window. Like every, when I, when I watched this for the first time, I was definitely like, well, they got her out. I'm sure she's just passed out and she'll just cough and come back to life. But no. Yeah. I guess sometimes we forget, um, we've seen these 800 times. Yeah. Yeah. So the car turned into a gas chamber, basically. Um, and then in the little mirror flap in the front seat, it says guilty. So he must have rigged the car before going up to talk to her. Ryan says he'll take the car to the lab and holla with anything. <laughs> Am I Heather Thompson? Um, uh, but he'll let them know if he finds anything. So then they're like, fuck, what about the other friends that betrayed him? What if he left surprises for them too? So they go pick up all their um, all the helpers that they've talked about the case with. And the professor is safe and Gwendolyn is there, but she's so pissed at Munch. She won't even look at him. And then she slaps Munch across the face and says, you are nothing to me, John, nothing. And then throws her cup filled with liquid as he walks off. And then Finn just says, clean up on aisle three and it's like he won't even be like are you okay <laughs> like <laughs> yeah you're good friends you've known each other for years maybe you're work friends but you like a woman just slapped him you can't be like you good yeah <laughs> like, and also so you funny. like used a personal relationship 
to help this case. And, you know, that might have been tough for you. I was... The 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 water throwing looks improvised to me. I'd be really interested to ask Carol Kane if she just like... It seems like she just picked it up and like threw it. Like, because not enough hits him. Like, I don't know. I really love that. Um, but I also did really quickly want to circle back on the wiki of the fandom for, for SVU. Munch is listed as having four ex-wives. Gwen... Munch, Billy Lou Hatfield, Felicia Munch, and then unnamed ex-wife, which I love. I thought there was one. three. I didn't know there was four. This says unnamed ex-wife. It's totally possible when he talked about unnamed ex-wife, he was talking about Felicia or Gwen or Billy Lou. I don't remember the, the talking about Billy Lou, but I, you know, I never got, I never did a deep dive into Munch's personal relationship. But we gotta yeah. get Munch. What's what's been stopping us? We gotta get Munch. Yeah, well, we gotta yeah, get Munch. he lives in Paris. Let's get his ass. Let's get his ass. We'll get high on Zoom and we'll ask him about <laughs> all his ex-wives and all the bars that he's wanted to open. Yes. Um. So they haven't found any other traps in any of the people's houses that they've like gone to find. And Benson's like, fuck, I feel bad for Gwendolyn. And Munch is like, why? Because she was married to me. And Benson's like, no, the nightmare in her brain, like she's trapped in there. And Finn goes, well, you don't have any sympathy like that for Peter. And she says, well, if he didn't kill everyone that looked at him wrong, then yeah, I would also have empathy for him being like, you know, the nightmare that is in your brain. So then Stabler tells everyone Ryan wants to bug them and while hanging up the phone. So I don't know exactly what that means, but we will find out. So the scoop is there was a mosquito found in the car and the mosquito's blood... <laughs> So the the mosquito's belly is filled with blood and we can get DNA from the blood in the mosquito belly. I'm shocked. I mean, that's how they did Jurassic Park. Oh yeah. The whole yeah. premise of Jurassic Park is that they found dinosaur blood in the in the in the fucking mosquitoes and rebred dinosaurs. So Yeah, I don't watch um I Jurassic Park. Maybe I'll watch it again. Maybe it'll really hit I, me. I've in only a way. ever seen the first one. I've never seen another one. I'm not in the Jurassic universe like our old pal Stephen Ray Morris, but like I yeah, I don't I don't know. I just know that from the first one. Life finds a way. I know, but maybe I should watch it again because even, you know, I'm recording now from our friend Julia's house and they're big Jurassic Park heads. Oh, they're they're J-heads? Okay. Yeah, they are. Um, so, But not, I don't know why it never like tickled me in that way. <laughs> so anyway, this um, gas to death bug is going to be their star witness. <laughs> and we're going to nail him from a bug. And Ryan says that cops in Finland did it recently. And then the, and Jurassic Park. So, but they also found a message in the car that says one down, three to go. So who is next? Who is next? Who needs revenge? And then they're like, oh, fuck Judith Light. So they run to help Judith Light. And she's pissed that he would ever even think to come after her. And Ryan says, bomb squad says it's clear. Stucky comes in to say, we also checked the HVAC to make sure he didn't fuck with the air. And Ryan is like, Stucky, put everything back where you found it and I'm going to check out the bug. And Stucky's like, oh, cool, like a listening device? And Benson's like, no, mosquito's blood. And then they all disperse. And Benson and Saber are like, babe, Judy, you gotta go to the hotel. And she says she doesn't run. And Benson's like, I get it, but what about room service? How about the Waldorf? And excuse me, who's paying for this? <laughs> yeah, like, is there a fund for judges that need to go in hiding because they won't just go to a motel? We've got to have a Waldorf fund for them. I know, not even, yeah, the Waldorf. But I want to <laughs> know in terms of like Four Seasons, the Ritz and the Waldorf, like where they all lie in terms of the top notch. Like, I know they're all five-star, but 
I wonder yeah, if I don't one, know. That's a great question. Fancy if than the other. If you're one of our richer listeners and you've stayed at all those hotels, please message us and rank them. Yeah, I want to know. I feel like a lot of successful working comedians are at a Four Seasons, but I also wonder if there's just tons of Four Seasons where people are going. Always curious. So anyways, Judith Light says, my house is safe. And then she sits down and all of a sudden she screams in pain. Something stuck her. Fuck. And she passes out into Stabler's arm and she says, I don't feel good. Benson picks up a full syringe. How was that in the cushion? Like, how does the syringe in a chair sit up and like ready? That's a great question. Great. I wonder the same thing because it... She had to have sat on it in a way that it depressed perfectly to give her the full dose, as they say. And like, yeah, I don't know how that happens, but whatever. Suspension of disbelief. I'm just glad she gets carried out by Stabler since she's so horny for him, but I just hope she's not going to die. And Mercy, um, hospital is six blocks away. So they rush her to the hospital. She's coding and they wheel her off. Benson and Stabler breathe deep as she's scurried away on a stretcher. Time passes and she'll be okay. And we find out that potassium chloride was in there and that's used in lethal injections. Stabler calls Cragen to fill him in that our baby girl is safe and he tells him um, O'Halloran wants them in the lab. So Benson sends Stabler off and she's going to stay with the judge for a bit. And holy shit, the DNA match is like blinking on a computer at the lab. And in that moment, a knife goes into Ryan O'Halloran and he drops down in pain. He's bleeding and choking and struggling to breathe with a knife sticking straight out of his chest and we lose him. Our hottie is dead. Stabler walks What? Well, I didn't know we knew that then. I didn't know we knew it at this point yet, but he is dead. It's so fucked up. Yeah, because he's like, and then once you like- lean your head to the side. I feel like you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's a And it is death. like, it's just such a fucking plunge right into the heart. It's not like, yeah. Yeah. Our baby is dead. So sad to see such hotness be, stu- be snuffed out. And in that moment, Stabler walks in looking for him and then sees the computer and the DNA match is, drum roll, Stucky. Fuck. Bing, bang, bong. And then he sees the legs of dead Ryan O'Halloran. And in that moment, he gets whacked in the head by a fire extinguisher. Not the first time in the show. Stucky <laughs> is a psycho. He leans over Stabler and grabs the gun. And in that moment, his cell phone starts ringing. So Stucky answers Elliot's phone and it's Benson. He's like, hey, Liv. And Benson's shocked to hear Dale's voice and is like, where the fuck is Stabler? And he says, oh, him and Ryan went out for a bite to eat. He left his phone on the table. What a dummy, right? And it's like, what? I thought you were meeting up for DNA. And Stucky goes... Well, the DNA hasn't popped off yet. And that's a direct quote. Usually I add a lot of flair that he said popped off. (laughs) Like that is him. Or I'm joking and I wrote that as a joke. I don't remember anymore. I think he says hasn't popped yet. Okay. You may have added the off. You and Stucky's powers combined created this sentence. So so he goes, so yeah, so they just stepped out for a quick sushi and we'll be back and tell him I called and then they hang up. So Stucky is wet with excitement. He pulls Stabler by his legs and tapes him to a chair and tapes his mouth shut. As Stabler comes to, Stucky's there being like, you're surprised, right? You didn't think I could do anything, huh? And he peels the tape off his mouth and Stabler's like, what have you done? Stucky's like, okay, big time detective. You can't figure it out. And he pulls the knife out of Ryan's body and is finally hitting Stabler like, what is happening? Um, And he goes, fuck, you tried to kill Judge and you gassed Zimmer. And he's like, yeah, I killed Ryan now too. And now you're gonna die. Are you ready? And he starts cutting him and blood is squirting. And he said, you shouldn't have been mean to me. 
What a child. Um, he goes, you always made fun of me. <sighs> Men. <laughs> he says he was trying to help. Peter is a bad man and should be in jail. Like, sure, I screwed up a little bit. And Stabler's like, you just killed the, a girl. And Stucky's like, yeah, but I did it so we could get Peter. I'm a hero. And Stabler's like, Harrison is in jail. You're not going to be able to push this on him. But he has a plane to frame um, one of his paranoid pals. And there will be nothing to link me to any of this as soon as I get rid of that mosquito. And Stabler is like, what makes you think like we got nothing else on you? All killers leave something behind. And he says, no, I'm not stupid. You all think I'm stupid. And Stabler's like, well, you're killing everyone who hurts your feelings. So I don't know. Like, you suck. And Stucky um, grabs him and says, you know what? I've been a very little busy zebra, haven't I? Drink, everyone. <laughs> um, and he, put the, he puts the tape back over Stabler's mouth and he starts cutting Stabler again and calls him stupid again. And then Liv walks in calling for Elliot. Fuck. Benson sees Stabler tied up and runs toward him. And then she sees dead Ryan as Stucky screams, don't move with a gun pointed at her back. He makes her put her gun down and she does. And she's wearing a leather jacket looking sexy as always. And Stucky's like, what are you doing here? I didn't want to hurt you. And she's like, then don't, LOL. Um, and he says, it's too late though. And uh, you've seen too much. And she's like, can we all just calm down and relax? Like you did good, real good. And he's confused, like what? So she goes, well, I mean, I think it's really clear what happened here. One of Harrison's crazy followers got in here and you just found the bodies and secured the crime scene and called me, right? And Stucky's like, what, really? And she's like, yeah, that's what I'll tell Craig in. And you can finagle the forensics. And then she's like, and then it'll be like SVU hero is killed in the line of duty. It's perfect. And Benson's acting a little crazy and Stucky's like, you're lying. Um, And Benson's like, you think you're the only one who like is living a hell because of this prick? And she walks to Stabler and starts slapping him in the face back and forth, quoting Stabler, live, do this, live, do that. I'm sick of it. Sick of it. I want to hear him scream. And then she rips off the tape off his face and they start going back and forth and Stucky yells, both of you shut up. And he says, hit him again. And Stabler says, don't you do it bitch and she hits him and Stucky doesn't believe her she then says if he knew half of what this prick has done somebody needs to take him out and she turns around uh, to him like so turned on and is like I didn't know anybody else felt this way and that you would be the, the one to fucking be able to do this and Saber yells don't listen to her and Benson and Stucky both yell shut up and then Stucky charges Elliot and hits him really hard again and Benson says once the son of a bitch is dead I'm gonna need a new partner and he's like well what about Craig and Mariska's like, oh, come on. I have him wrapped around my little finger and Finn and Munch. They all do whatever the fuck I say. I'm so hot. <laughs> she goes, Dale, if I say the word, you're it. And if Stucky's I say the word, you become, instead of a CSU person, a detective on the New York NYPD. Like, it's so crazy. And um, Stucky is crying and thinking about it. And he does like the sound of it. And <laughs> she's like, yeah, we can, you know, we get each other. We're connected. We're so connected. She says again, he says, well, fine, let's get the third wheel out. And now, you know, she doesn't actually want Stabler to die. So she's like, wait, 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 I want him to watch. And he's like, watch what? And she's like, watch this. And she looks down at his lips, seduces his ass, and they kiss. And as they kiss, she opens her eyes and stares at Stabler. And in that moment, Stabler kicks Stucky from behind into his balls. And he crouches in pain and then bends and elbows him in the face and takes the gun. She cuts open the tape on Stabler and, you know, he's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. He's like, how did you know? And she's like, well, Stucky said you went to get sushi. You and raw fish? And then Stabler laughs. I'm glad he's like fully bleeding from his abdomen and has time to giggle a little bit. 
And we've talked about this. What would be our um, sushi? You know, like how would you? What would we know? Oh, yeah. And how would we? You're know? a vegetarian, but like you would go to a steakhouse with a friend. Like you would order something. Yeah, but if you if somebody said like, oh, she just ran out to grab like a pulled pork sandwich, you'd be like, what? You know, because <laughs> like, even when I ate meat, that wasn't like a thing I would have. So but pulled you, pork sandwich is yeah. So mine is pulled pork sandwich. Yours would be. I know you don't like stuff. Yeah, but it's olives. Like I guess she's out you, to go get. She went out to go get a bunch of olives for martinis or something. <laughs> no, I mean I don't really eat Indian food often, but I've had it like four or five times at a restaurant with friends. So like, yeah, I don't know. I've had a samosa. Like that's the thing. Like even if I'm not down for something, if someone's like, "Let's go eat here," it's like, "Hell yeah, let's do it." Right. It would be tough to get that. So I'm trying to think like we'll have what to figure absolutely. it out. Absolutely. If someone said we went out for mushrooms, that would be us connected. <laughs> we both, yeah, or eggplant yeah. parmesan. I don't know. I don't like that. Yeah, I don't either. So if someone yeah. said like, Karen and Lisa went out for eggplant and portobello mushroom sandwiches. <laughs> Call the cops! <laughs> Call the cops. Call the cops. Yeah, or outside of food, what would... I'm trying to think what where I would never go. Oh, yeah. If someone said I was golfing, I wouldn't golf. <laughs> Lisa's just out, um, you know, hitting a couple balls around, do, working the back nine or whatever they say in golf. That would yeah. be so funny. Yeah. That would <laughs> count for me too. Yeah. You would, yeah, you wouldn't golf, but your Connecticut would maybe do a fork in it. I would mini golf. If the, if the word mini's not in there, I've been kidnapped. Um. Um, and then they stand over Ryan and Stucky and Stabler says, what a way to end. Done, done. It's over, bitch. It's Dick Wolf. And it's like, what do you mean? Do you mean what a way for O'Halloran's life to end? Or like what a way for <laughs> this saga to end with Stucky? Like it's it's one of the most insane episodes because it's like, why did Stucky have to kill so many people? Like he didn't have to plan a full revenge spree. We could He could have just killed that girl under the boardwalk and like with the thumbprint, that would have been good. Killing his lawyer, going after a judge, like you're it's, psycho. Well, no, it's anyone that wronged him. So the defense attorney was like, couldn't have done it without you, Stucky. So that's what made him want to kill her. Oh, okay. So basically Stucky's going on his own revenge spree. I thought it was more he was trying to frame Peter for his revenge spree. But then and it got too late. That it was like classic where anyone that humiliated him had to die. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's just hated so him. Yeah. wild. Judith it's Light. wild for someone to be like that, but also have this like ding-dang-dong Dorcas personality, you know? Yeah, don't trust anyone with a catchphrase. Yeah, that's true. As we say, that's Dick Wolf, baby. <laughs> Let me but- pee and then we'll get into the fucking crime. And you yes, can all go baby. pee too. I, I give yeah, you permission. Yeah, everybody go take a quick pee and we'll be right back. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. 
on, this is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Okay, so obviously this episode is off the walls bonkers and there's not like a true, there's no Stucky character. But I would say that the Peter Harrison character is based off of um, a famous case of a man named Andrew Goldstein who was diagnosed with schizophrenia as, you know, in his teen years. And then in January on January 3rd, which is my sister's birthday, of 1999, at age 29, after failing to take his medication, he pushed tw- uh, 32-year-old aspiring writer Kendra Webdale off the onto the subway tracks at 23rd Street Station, where she was killed by an oncoming end train. So Peter Harrison was accused of attempting this, but this man, Andrew Goldstein, did this in real life was like a super sad story that rocked New York and the entire nation. And I'll get into the aftermath of it a little bit. But Kendra was like very well-liked, really smart, well-read. She was from, I think, upstate New York, more like Buffalo area. And she like really always wanted to go to the city. She was well-read. She was like super disciplined, like would wake up early to run and made friends really easily. Like everybody just had great things to say about her. And she moved to New York to make her dreams come true. She loved the city. She'd lived there for three years. She was trying to write a screenplay. She had done a little bit of journalism. She just wanted to write. And her brother, Ralph, said she was the kind of person who would have helped the kind of person who did this end quote, which is so sad. And, you know, her her death really shook New York, uh, which had been experiencing at the, in the late 90s, New York had been experiencing plunging crime rates. And everyone was like, this just goes to show you that you never know what can happen when like someone's in the throes of madness or whatever. But it wasn't just New York. This crime triggered a full nationwide debate about mental health. And don't worry, we still haven't done that much about it. But Records show that Andrew Goldstein had been voluntarily hospitalized more than a dozen times before killing Kendra in the few years before he killed her. He had, like, more than a dozen times. His most recent stint had been just six weeks earlier. And in the two years before the attack, he had attacked physically, with physical violence, 13 other people, including two psychiatrists, a nurse, a social worker, and a therapy aide. So every time he was hospitalized, he was medicated and then was discharged and and gone to live and sent off to like live by himself in this basement apartment that he lived in. But he wanted help. And social workers tried to, that's why every time he went to the hospital, it was on his own volition. Like he went to the hospital for help. Social workers tried to place him in state hospitals, state finance group homes, single room occupancy hotels with counselors on staff, or in the in care of intensive case managers, but they constantly butted heads with long waiting lists, and uh, which was a result of severe budget cuts under Governor George Pataki. So after this attack happened, the New York Times wrote an article that called Pataki out, and it basically worked. Um, and Pataki put more money towards mental illness and signed off on Kendra's law in November of 1999. So oh, I've heard about real- that. 
yeah, this is a really interesting law. And it's inter- it's funny to me that the um, episode didn't bring it up. Like they talked about a mental hygiene warrant, which we talked about in the Nashawn Williams case um, about the man who was, you know, allegedly spreading HIV wantonly. But like, you know, Kendra's law would have been a perfect thing to incorporate into this episode. And maybe it was just too hard to explain or something. But it it's a New York state law about involuntary outpatient commitment also known as assisted outpatient treatment, which is known uh, with abbreviation as AOT. Um, And it grants a judge the authority to issue orders requiring people who meet certain criteria to regularly undergo psychiatric treatment. So when we say outpatient, that means they can live their lives. They just are assigned mental health services. They don't get put into a place. They can like be out outpatient, obviously. So the patient has to be 18 years old, suffering from mental illness. And a doctor has to like certify that they're unlikely to survive safely in the community without supervision. They um, can have a history of lack of compliance with treatment. Um, and at least twice in the last 36 months, mental health had been a significant factor in necessitating hospitalization or they've had serious acts of violence towards themselves or others. So there's a lot of different um, caveats to this law, but, um, you know, that that's the general. And uh, a patient can be ordered to assist to assisted outpatient treatment for a maximum of 12 month period. Failure to comply could result in commitment for 72 hours, but it doesn't mandate that patients be forced to take medication and there's no criminal pen- penalty. Like if you have if Kendra's law, if it's like invoked on you and you completely refuse, um, I guess they can commit you for 72 hours, but then you you don't go to jail or something for not doing it. And research has shown that the program is mostly effective. Apparently, this law was originally proposed by members of uh, NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness, which we have uh, featured in our What Was Sister Peg segment before. So they were concerned that most of the laws were about preventing individuals with serious mental illness from receiving care until after they became dangerous to themselves or others. And they saw that outpatient commitment could have been, could be a less expensive, less restrictive, and more humane alternative to inpatient commitment. Um, there is a Duke professor of psychiatry and behavioral science who's run a lot of studies on this called Marvin Swartz. Is it still Schwartz with no H? Anyway, Schwartz or Schwartz. And um, he says, uh, he said that one, it it not only compels the patient, but it compels the government to do its part, like housing, supervision, rehab, Kendra's Law patients get to the head of the line. Um, And the second thing it does is it by involving the courts, it makes everyone, the patient, the government, and the families of of the patient take treatment more seriously. So it's believed that it's worked well um, and it's like reduced hospitalizations, reduced, you know, criminal charges and stuff with with um, people. But it has been criticized for being underused and underfunded. At least 47 states now have some kind of program spawned off of Kendra's Law, um, something that that is AOT, but only New York mandates it as a, as a state policy. Crazy. I was thinking, oh, I wonder what the three states are that don't have it. It's Massachusetts, Maryland, and my home state of Connecticut. And I'm shocked. I don't know why they don't have this because it seems like a much more, I don't know, like integrated and like dynamic way to handle someone that is a danger to themselves or others because of mental illness. Um, So, and again, I am researching this off of like articles. I only have a certain amount of time to get this into the podcast. If you're like a mental health professional and you are like, fuck Kendra's Law, please write to me, but but come to me with calmness because I don't, I'm not a psychiatrist or a mental health professional. I'm just going off of what I've read that it seems like the treatment of 
these programs have been known to reduce patients' risk of hospitalization, suicide, and violence. Other pros for people that are for Kendra's Law say that it incentivizes mentally ill people to stay in treatment, but others say that it drags them through a legal system after the healthcare system has failed them. Um, and critics of the law also point out that there's a racial bias sometimes with because in 2005, uh, when the New York Times reported on this, a group called the New York Lawyers for the Public Interest found that Black people were nearly five times as likely to have Kendra's Law um, invoked on them as opposed to white people. And one of the lawyers for this group, a senior litig litigator for this group named John A. Grisham said, quote, it's important to know if our mental health policy is disproportionately taking away the freedom of groups who have been historically been oppressed end quote. So that is important. Um, but because his group study found that um, in about 3,958 uh, orders for treatment under Kendra's law, 42% were black, but they only make up 16% of the New York state population, while 34% were white and they make up 62%. So uh, a spokesperson for the state's Office of Mental Health said, uh, her name's Jill Daniels, and she had a statement that says, it's misleading to compare uh, the race and ethnicity of those being treated under Ken Kendra's law with the race and ethnicity of the general population. The law is used a lot more in urban populations um, and like that's more, the proportions are more similar to the adults that are receiving intensive care in those urban areas. And another argument is that Black and Latino populations with mental illness might not have access to care at the onset of mental illness, which makes them more likely to end up in crisis that needs intervention. So these are just things I'm reading of the, to try to present the pros and cons. Um, Gresham and his group don't want to eliminate the law. They just want to remove the part about compulsory treatment, but keep the part about offering better access to help mental health services. But then the argument for that is that that would like just hobble the law completely. Like it wouldn't really be a lot. Like most people are that are in the throes of a mental illness, a mental health event are not going to agree to this uh, treatment. So that's the lowdown on Kendra's law. After, um, to get back to the man who did this crime, after two trials and a plea bargain, Andrew Goldstein was sentenced to 23 years in prison. Uh, one of the judges that presided over his case, she's one of the longest standing judges in New York and actually just retired, I, I think, a few years ago. Uh, judge Carol Berkman said of this case, quote, I have no doubt that someday, probably after we are all gone, people will look back at our treatment of mental illness under the law and be shocked and appalled, end quote. So yeah, as of 2018, there were 400,000 people incarcerated with mental illness. And unfortunately, like it's a cliche to say that prisons have become our mental institutions, but it's true. And Andrew Goldstein in 2018 gave a very interesting interview with New York Magazine. It was written by two people. One person is an inmate at Sing Sing with him. And the other person is like a, a different writer for New York Magazine. And they wrote this together. And... I just thought it was really cool the way this guy was like talking about why he was in jail versus why this guy's in jail and like, or prison, excuse me. And like, just, he was able to interview him like in, in the facility. So anyway, this article is really, really interesting. And he showed, uh, in, so this interview takes place in 2018. So almost 20 years after the crime has taken place and Andrew's been in jail the entire time and they show him a picture of Kendra and he says, quote, it stirs my emotions, a perfect woman. I know, I don't know. To destroy a perfect like, like, life like that is a horrible thing. I don't know why I did that. Obviously, you know, mental illness, he 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 had no knowledge of his crime, um, which is interesting because the prosecution in the case tried to 
you know, they want to win. They want to win cases. Him him pleading not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect puts him in a mental institution. It doesn't count towards their conviction rate. So he ended up pleading um, guilty to manslaughter, I think, and was like, so he knew he'd be able to get out one day, whereas the other way, he probably would have been in a mental institution for most of his um, adult life or living like the remainder of his life. And so they tried to paint this picture of Andrew as this guy whose mental illness was pretty mild and he hated women and he wanted to harm them for revenge. But like, when this guy talks to Andrew, he's like, I'm not even like a sexual person. I've literally had two interactions with women that he can even recall. Like, and one was like his friend's girlfriend who was a exotic dancer. He like let her, his friend was like, go have some fun with my girlfriend. He's like, I felt her boobs. That was it. Like he doesn't, it doesn't seem like this was like motivated at all by incel behavior. This was a guy who was having a full psychotic break and was off of his medication. He said he was still a virgin in prison at 48 years old. Um, so even he entered prison at 29, but, um, and he had zero violent misbehavior reports in 19 years of prison. So he was not you know, when he's on his schedule and on his medication, he's a nonviolent person. So Andrew Goldstein did get time off for good behavior and was released in September of 2018 at 49 years old. And the New York Times had an interesting quote where they said that he, quote, walked out of prison and into a mental health system that has been heavily influenced by his crime, end quote. Like he got out of prison and he was being considered for the Kendra's Law programs right out of jail because even though he hadn't committed any violent crimes recently, like he probably needs to be under some kind of state mandated supervision. I can't find anything about what he's doing right now. Uh, obviously, I don't think anyone's like, but you know, hopefully he's staying on his medication and you know, he's served his time. And in February of 2021, Governor Cuomo suggested that we should expand Kendra's law because there was an uptick of violent crime by people with untreated mental illness in New York City. But I'm like, also like, yeah, that was also the heart of the pandemic. Like, I'm sure shit was going crazy. But the current New York governor, um, Kathy Hochul, is that how you say her name? Hochul? she's going to expand the law and is looking to reform it as well. So I think that most people, if you look online, the people that are for Kendra's law seem to be more than people that are against it. And even the people that are against it don't want to like get rid of it. They just want to change it. So a horrible tragedy, something I've totally thought of. Like I step back every time a, a train comes. I always am looking for if anyone's behind me, like I, it's horrible. And, and it's happened many times in New York. I mean, people have been pushed in front of the tracks. They say like, you know, if, a few a do, over a dozen times a year it happens and it a lot of times is by people with um you know mental health issues and i'm just glad that in, this seems to be working for some people you know 100%. Thank you. Because like I was reading some article, I don't know, the article in New York Magazine, like it's in the show notes, like, but it's so worth reading. It's really interesting. And they talked to one guy, I, I forget, he's just kind of a person who's taken this up as like a personal uh, thing where it's like, when we talk about mental illness, it's like, it, it's anything from depression to someone like Andrew Goldstein who has murderous tendencies. And it's like, when you bank, when you put everybody under this mental health, mental health umbrella, then sometimes it feels like the most people who need the most help get lost. And um, I think that's sort of what Kendra's Law is trying to be like a bit of a safety net that grabs people like that. Um, but that is, um, as far as I can tell, all that we have in common with Zebras, the, the, I would say the most insane episode of the entire series. 
Yeah, I'll go with it. Even wildlife's uh, a little more grounded. And that's like a monkey coming out of a basketball. Yeah, but I'm sure that's all like real details from actual animal smuggling. I mean, has a CSU tech ever gone completely fucking postal and killed a bunch of people to A, frame an actual murderer, but also get his own revenge out on people? Like, it's crazy. It's it's nuts. Uh, And, you know, wouldn't you love to know, Stucky doesn't die. Wouldn't you love to see what Stucky's like in jail? He's getting... Oh, that's actually making me sad. Stucky's not having a good time in prison. Sure. Or they like that he killed police people. Oh, so maybe he becomes like a little leader there. Yeah, I would actually love... um, Like, you know, sometimes they have to go to former con artists or criminals to help, like, capture present-day criminals. I would love a Stucky return from prison helping them on a case. Like, I would love that. That would be so... Okay, Stucky, so when you were planning evidence and going through a complete (laughs) crazy moment... Like, we hate him and stuff, but now I want him back. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to know what kind of like little gang he's running in in prison, the Bing Bang Bong crew. Um, but don't go anywhere because we have thrilling such a guests. Great guest. Thrilling. We'll be happy. Guys, our guest today is an SVU favorite who I believe has appeared in the most episodes of anyone who is not a full time cast member. Aside from a child, but you know, uh, we love this. We love this actor. He can be seen in other films like The Invitation and Rabbit Hole. And he wrote and directed the comedy Almost Love. But you know him as Dearly Departed forensics technician Ryan O'Halloran. Please enjoy our conversation with the very talented Mike Doyle. We're thank happy you so here. much for being here. We're really excited. This a big SVU get for us as oh, you is are. It really? Huge. Well, well, you are. And Kara found that you have a record. Yeah, you're the number one most... Well, you're the number two most recurring character on the show besides Noah Porter Benson, but I don't think that counts because that's three different actors. Yeah, well... You know, including twins. I didn't realize I held that distinction, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. 53 episodes. Is it 53? Wow. Wow. Yeah, 52 as as O'Halloran, which I wanted to ask, like, how did this, how did your SVU journey, like, kick off? Because you were originally on season three in this episode called Prodigy, where you are, by the way, the thumbnail on IMDb. So they probably, they thought you were a big deal. Um, (laughs) And you were just playing, like, a medical, an assistant ME. And then two seasons later, you come back to start off as O'Halloran. So how did that work out? How did that go? Um, So, you know, I, like every actor in New York, had been auditioning for SVU for a very long time, (laughs) unsuccessfully. (laughs) And uh, my agents were like, "Um, Tamara Tooney can't do these reshoots. Would you consider filling in for her and playing the part? And at first, you know, you're like, wait, I don't want to blow it on like the ME. They're like, no, but it's going to recur. So I'm like, I was like, dude, I was like, I got this recurring part on Law and Order SVU that never recurred. <laughs> it's just like, I did it. And I was, I have to say, I was pretty bad. I do remember Chris and Marishka on their off camera, like, because it's like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a muscle I learned to train and speak the speak. Um, I think that's why I lasted as long as I did. But when I was playing Tamara's part, I was I was messing up the language like left and right. And Chris and Marishka are off camera like, it's great. No, no, you got it. You got it. <laughs> like, it's just 
awful. So um, yeah, so that uh, recurring part never recurred. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer. Cut to uh, a couple of years later, I'm doing uh, a play with Chad Lowe, who's friends with Marishka and Peter. They come to see the play. Chad's like, hey, they're having a game night um, on the Upper West Side. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go. I'm not going to know anybody. Like, you know, it's like you get like weird and self-conscious and all that kind of stuff. So I go there and Neil Bayer also was there. We're and obsessed I, with him. Yeah. And Neil um, is the best. Like he, we'll talk about him. But um, I, um, I remember when I met with him once on the, another unsuccessful SVU audition, he's like, oh, I wrote the uh, episode of ER that you're in which we shot in like 1999. Um, and I was like, oh my God, I'm so proud of that work. Jessica Capshaw is my wife. I play this like, you know, law student loses his mind. Anyway, it was a connect. And then he was at this party. We had a great time, like, you know, playing running charades. And like, it was at, it was at Bob Balaban's like beautiful pre-war, huge epic apartment. Um, Martha Plimpton was there. Oh my like, God. It was, it was just like a who's who. And it was so fun. And then three weeks later, I get a call and they're like, oh, hey, uh, you, there's a part, not the part you played, a new part on SVU that was just offered to me, which never happens as an actor. Um, would you do it? I was like, 100%. And then that was the beginning of of my journey on SVU. So you must have made an impression at that game night. I guess I did. <laughs> and then you, hopefully you've never missed a game night since. I, you know, that's when I, when I meet with young actors, I'm like, go to every Say party. Say yes. Don't be a douche, but just go. <laughs> oh my God. What a great story. I yeah. want to go to a game night at Bob Balaban's house. I mean. <laughs> Is CSU language easier than ME language? Uh, No. Okay. Uh, it's funny because like, I, you know, I have, you know, I've been off the show for a long time. So I'm like, I'm going to go back and I'm gonna, I watched my first, well, parts of my first last night, because I do remember that. And then part, and then I watched Zebras. Um, and in that first episode, I had to say, I'll put it in my gas chromatograph mass spectrometer. And Ice goes to me, he's like, man, that sounds like you say that every day. I was like, I have been for the last five, so I could say it. <laughs> properly here. But it was so, that job was especially challenging because it's like speaking French without any sort of mastery. And it's like, you don't have these scenes like with people in in the sense that you're not really dialoguing with people, you're sort of monologuing and like, you know, forwarding the plot. And invariably, you know, a director would be like, we're going to do it in one. So you would go from like your microscope to like your computer to like some other piece of machinery whilst saying all this like blood spatter pattern and, you know, like yeah. all this crazy stuff. So I I trained myself because I knew, I was like, if you can't say the words, you're going to, I'm going to be super short-lived. So I would like vacuum my apartment. I would like, you know, clean my bathroom while doing my dialogue. So I could, you know, if they were like, do it on your head, I'd be like, got it. Wow. So, yeah. You're right. It is a lot of show and tell. You're like, the blood's over here and look what I found here. There's, exactly. I didn't, wow. Blood, hair, and semen. All, all, <laughs> yeah. all under my purview. <laughs> now, when you did read Zebras, were you pissed? Did you have like a heads up? What were your thoughts about uh, the that murder? Was a bummer. 
Yeah, yeah. It was, I, you know, because Stucky came on, I thought he was just this little annoying upstart. Uh, but he was, you know, it was always designed for him to come in and kill me. Um, but I didn't find out until Zebras was released. And I was doing a play up in Williamstown. It was like an hour before I went on stage. And I got the call that they're like, they're going to kill you. And I was like, <laughs> oh. So, um, yeah, that play was not my best performance. My friends Aww. in it were like, dude, what's up? I was like, well, uh, a <laughs> nice long run is coming to an end. But, yeah, what are you going to do? I know. I can't believe no heads up. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was. But, you know, look, I, I think the decision was made. In fact, I, you know, I, I know this. Neil has told me it was in the beginning of the season. It was 2000. Eight and there was the financial crisis and they were worried about budgets. And so they're like, we need to trim. But um, there were a few of us that were on the chopping block. Judith Light, me, and I forget who the third one is. But I think there was a death in the family when the, skip, the script broke. So they're like, well, we can't kill Judith Light. <laughs> and so, so another thing I tell young actors, I'm like, Go to parties, and if you think you're going to get killed, have someone in your family die. <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice. <laughs> and it's funny, you know, watching Zebras last night, I was, I was like, it's still, and of course I'm biased, but like it still um, has a really nice look to it. And I, I think that was also something that Neil created. Like it was very sort of, um, you know, shadowy, contrasty, dark. Um, th- after I was, off the show, I was shadowing Peter Lido, who directed, because I direct as well. And um, it was the episode with Isabelle Huppert and Sharon Stone. Oh, yeah. It was the best. I mean, powerhouses. And uh, it's an interrogation scene. And Isabelle watches the playback, and it's at night. And she just goes, I need more light. <laughs> and the DP was like, uh, yeah, I know it's a night scene, and we play with contrast. She's like, I need more light. <laughs> and so they goosed up the light. And then when they set the camera, she's like, she's like motioning for them to raise it a little higher. Because, you know, she knows she knows how to photograph herself. She knows her yeah. angles, you know, at she that does. point. <laughs> we also always reminisce the Neil Barriers. There was like humor underneath it all, too. There was yeah. like a current of funny and yeah. we miss it. But anyways, yeah. no shit. Yeah, I mean, there's the, uh, I mean, just in Zebras, that that whole bing, bang, bong thing. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I also had, I, I can tell this because Chris is a good friend, but I, when you were saying about the language, I also had like some motivation, which was, you know, because everybody, it's like, it's, you know, the show, it's 14 hours a day, sometimes more, and everybody just wants to like, you know, go home. Um, and, you know, bloopers are funny, on a blooper reel, but when they happen in the moment, it's not funny because it's time, it's money, it's all this. So, you know, there's a there's a pressure to perform. But Chris would occasionally give me a little football tap in the butt if I got like one take. <laughs> and I'd be like, I was like, I did it, Chris. <laughs> it was motivation, motivation enough for me. What do you, so wait, you said you and Maloney are, are pals. What do you make of, um, you know, his his new zaddy status, his butt taking over the internet, et cetera, et cetera. New zaddy status. I He's mean, always been a zaddy. Yeah, I know, but like, you know, now it's on the cover of People magazine. I've posted this picture. You can see in my Instagram, we have a picture of Chris 
this is at a party at Marishka's house. He's straddled doing a split and I'm behind him like this with a drink resting on his butt cheek. <laughs> I mean, cause it's, it's, I, you know, it's, it's a shelf. Seems <laughs> like a stable surface. Yeah. <laughs> carry a drink. So you, you guys knew ahead of, ahead of the times that the ass was great. Yeah. Before yeah. the public. <laughs> I, yeah, I clocked that pretty early on. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what am I Amazing. blind? <laughs> well, it's also fun to hear like sillier stories about Maloney because a lot of people say he's very serious. He's stretching and like Marishka's kind of the silly one. And he, so it's nice to hear some silly yeah, moments. They're, they're both pretty silly. You know, I, I think they have to be serious to a point to, you know, to produce that show. Uh, you know, day after day after day. Mm -hmm. But like, there is definitely, there was always a sense of fun and a sense of play. And, uh, and um, it was, you know, it was a great set to be on, really. So I read that, I read the New York Times article that they did on you like 12, 13 years ago about yeah. how you died so many times on screen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did that lower the number of times that you got killed? Or, because I feel like then, since then, I've seen you die a couple more times. Yeah. I, I you know, I think that is the fate of like many a, a guest star that, you know, you're expendable. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know how many times I died when that article was like seven, nine, something. At the, and, at the time of the article, it was seven, but it's got to uh, be up higher yeah. now because, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure I've got a good five on top of that. Yeah, you know, it's funny because like I was thinking, you know, a friend of mine uh, was a, uh, is a is a writer at the Times and I was like, and I was telling him, I was like, oh, I was like, I just found out I'm getting killed again. He's like, don't you get killed a lot? And uh, I was like, yeah, I guess I do. He's like, there might be a story in that. So he pitched it to one of his, um, one of his coworkers and then they did the story and then there was like, a Nightline episode and the CNN thing. And now it's sort of that thing that people are like, oh, you're going to die in this? You know, and I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm hopefully going to stay alive. And it was cute how it ended with your mom being like, just call in to check if you're okay. Because <laughs> like, you, she has to keep watching her son die. I know, I know. Moms. <laughs> <laughs> do you do any like specific prep for a death scene? Like, I mean, I know in the article no. you talk about how you'd prefer to die with your eyes open rather than with your eyes closed. Yeah. But like, yeah, what do you... Hold we talked breath. to like um, Anthony Rapp who had to like lie in blood for a long time on his episode and he was like, yeah. it was so annoying. Like I'm yeah. freezing. Like, but you well, know. That, that um, in Zebras, I think that scene, that last big chunk, I think we shot it over three days, which is a long, long time. So they would wrap me in like um, dry cleaner bags to keep the blood wet in between takes. And then, oh, wow. yeah, because I was laying there for quite a bit of that, what was going on, even though, you know, you don't see it in certain shots, but they, you know, they always keep you around. And you would just like bounce to lunch with like wet blood all over yourself and then come yeah. back? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just another day. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You're in another hugely iconic beloved show on this podcast, and that is Sex in the City. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anything you'd like to tell us about your time on set? Uh, that was also an amazing show to be on at that time. I think it was season 
it was like the third season. So it had, you know, it had, it's like, it was really being celebrated. And I had met Michael Patrick King through some, through my ex actually. And, and, oh God, I was, it was like, it was not a great time for me. Cause I was like, I had survival jobs that were not the best and like things sort of were, you know, uh, stalling. And, uh, I was in New York and Michael Patrick King was like, oh, there's this part, uh, on, you know, playing John Slattery's, uh, campaign manager. Would you come in and read for it? I was like, a hundred percent. Um, so I went out to Astoria. I think there were a silver cup. I read for it. And this is the only time it's ever happened to me, but it was the greatest thing ever. At the end of it, he goes, that was great. He's like, do you want to play the part? I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. In yeah. the room? Book yeah, it in the it was, room? It was pretty cool. Damn. It was pretty cool. And he's he's amazing and awesome. And Slattery is is fantastic, who's still a good friend. And um, yeah, we had a great time. You're really popular. I love that Amazing. you have all these friends. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. But it's so funny because like my cousins in New Jersey who are like, you know, you know, like there, you wouldn't necessarily think, you know, the guys would be watching Sex in the City. And they're like, Mike, why did you say no? Why, uh, what was his name? Um, Willie Garson. To, to Willie. He's like, why did you say no to him? I was like, well, I didn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> so you wanted a muscle me. guy. Yeah. Well, this might be silly, but... Yes. Stabler, Benson, Munchfin, who is the Carrie, Miranda, Samantha, Charlotte? Oh, <laughs> you want to play this? Wow. <laughs> this is so uh, hard. I saw Lisa wrote this question and I was like trying to do it in my head. I was like... Who's the sluttiest one? I don't know. Finn. I think Finn's I don't slutty. know. I think Munch. Munch has been married like oh, six times. Yeah. Finn just yeah. loves strip clubs. But do, do, but who do we want to be the sluttiest is the question. Oh, okay. <laughs> I like where you're going with that. <laughs> uh, who's the carry? I mean, Mariska's got to be the carry, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, that's pretty obvious. Um, who's the Charlotte? Let's go back. Let's go I kind of, of think like, Stabler's a Charlotte because he's so Catholic really? and he's always like, acting like what the rules are and telling Mariska like what's what in terms of like what people, what what kids should be able to do, what women should be able to do and stuff. I don't know. That's just yeah. an opinion. That, no, but that's, what's that? The wasp? Like the Catholic. Yeah. Oh, that's Protestant. I always mess that yeah. up. I forget that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. One of those Christian ones. Um, <laughs> oh God, that's really hard. Uh, yeah. Uh, what if, well, I feel like Munch is like, the um, what's the Cynthia Nixon one? Miranda. Miranda. <laughs> I feel like that's Munch, and then that gives us Samantha and Charlotte. Yeah, I don't feel like I don't feel like Finn is too slutty though. <laughs> but he's not so innocent either. But he also has like the good one-liners and is like really he deadpan does. the way that Samantha kind of is. So yes, it's it. You know, there was one episode I forget what it was. <laughs> Ice. And one of the, you know, stalwart episodic directors came up and, you know, was like, I, uh, I, I think, you know, in the scene, you know, you just got the news, you know, and so there's a, there's a pressure of time and like, you know, maybe some more urgency. And I was like, okay. And the director walks away and he says to me, he's like, no matter, he goes, no matter why it is or how, no, no, what do you say? No matter what it is or why it is, he goes, I say it the same way. <laughs> 
<laughs> so great. Ice is the best. He's he's Dude. he's like such a such a uh, good heart, sweet guy. And yeah, have you I met think... Coco? Oh yeah, we heard Coco's 100%. out a lot on the set. Yeah, yeah, she was there. Her mom uh, hung out too. Coco's mom, who uh, they look like their sisters, but uh, yeah, I've seen her. Yeah, Ice yeah. T's got this like um, viral clip going from like a late night show where he when he found out what residuals were, like he thought he was only going to do SVU for like a season or two, and then he found out what residuals were, and he's like, "I'm staying here for as long as I can." Yeah, it's the gift that keeps on giving. It yeah. is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I'm very uh, grateful to Neil Bayer for, you know, uh, really changing my life. Um, you did give us some tidbits, you know, iced tea, stable. Are there, are Maloney, are there any other like really fun moments with the cast or being on set that stick out to you that you think our listeners or us would be kind of obsessed with? Uh, we have like, I mean, there's some gag reel moments like with, um, you know, I always felt like I had to, you know, like, you know, because this is like, you when you come in for, you know, as a guest, you know, you want to not take too much license. But like Mariska would be like, she's like, okay. She's like, in this, in this, you know, there's the the one where we sing solid like a rock, but solid like Barack, because I think he was just elected in 2008. Okay. And we, there's a, a nice little outtake. Oh, and then there's one, I don't know where this, this footage exists, if it does, but, oh, and now I'm remembering a, a, a few other things too, but, um, when she won the Golden Globe, there was a scene in an apartment and I had the blunt instrument that was the mode of assault or killing someone. I don't remember. But then, and we had shot it and like, it was clear that we were done shooting the scene and the director was like, no, 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 we need one more. And Mariska's like, what? She's like, why do we need one more? And they gave me her Golden Globe. So I was like, well, it was it was clearly carried out with this blunt instrument and she just grabbed <laughs> it. She's like, ah. Oh, then there that was, was a, cute. There was another one where Peter Leto, I had to, I was on a, I don't know what episode it was, but I was on a ladder and I had to reach into a wall niche and like take out something and they, and they put in black bean dip. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> no, not black bean dip. Uh, I, and of course, when you don't know it's black bean dip, yeah. you're like, what is this squishy brown material? <laughs> You're soaking in it. <laughs> um, I do see the almost love poster behind you. I'm actually oh, in Michelle yes. Buteau's Netflix show. And oh, shut up. Yeah, we were filming last night and I told her that I was going to name drop her. Uh, oh, that's so fantastic. So yeah. are, you in, uh, are you in Atlanta now? No. no, we're shooting in Bushwick. Oh, you are? Oh, yeah. I didn't know. I, that's right. The other show that she's on is in... Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, the first Atlanta. wives club. Yeah, the first wives yeah. is in Atlanta. Yeah. Oh, congrats! That's so great. It's I read huge. the pilot. She sent me the pilot, um, and I love Michelle more than words can express. And uh, she, she is just like a force of nature. So funny and also so big-hearted. And you know, when we met for my film. Um, we just had a meeting over coffee and like, you know, both of us did our funny, did our funny, but then we dropped into this like really deep place about our families and like, you know, all the, you know, Michigas that that entails. And, um, and I was like, oh, this is a woman who, uh, 
who I want to get to know more and I think will bring so much to the part. And she did. She just is, I, I, I can't say enough about her. She's really talented. Yeah, she's she said really amazing things about you as well. And she oh. loved doing that movie. But sometimes I'll watch, it's like, she's a really good actress. It's really cool yeah. to watch her. Yeah. I saw her, I, she had a, she, you know, does the show Adulting. And um, I went to her live show with Colin Donnell, who plays her love interest in the movie. And she was just talking about like, in the, they had a guest on, but they were talking about like body positivity. And she's just like, she's like, you know, she's like, actually, I got to play a part where I had a sex scene and I wasn't the best friend the next day who was like, how was it? She's like, and the guy who wrote it is here and the guy who I was in bed with is here. And then, <laughs> and then she was talking about first kisses and she's like, Mike, you have a story. Come on up. And I was like, oh no. I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. She's like, come on up, come on up. And so I told the story uh, on her show and I felt so sort of like, you know, I, it was it was an honor to be part of it. Well, are you going to tell yeah. us about the first kiss or what? Uh, yeah, it was it was in a uh, it was in a made for TV movie when they used to have MOWs, movies of the week. Oh yes, I called, saw that on your IMDb. <laughs> it was called On the Plain Road. Later, A Loss of Innocence is a Mormon tragic love story set in the <gasps> 20s with 90210's Jenny Garth and Melrose Place's Rob Estes. Uh, I'm married to Jenny. Uh, we own a dairy farm. My bro- half-brother, Rob, comes into town. He's a piano teacher. He starts teaching my wife piano. They get too close. I'm like, what's going on? And we go out on a deer hunt. She forgets to pack my jacket. He shoots me dead. <laughs> first death. <laughs> yeah, first death. And... uh yeah. So, oh, so the kiss. Um, so Jenny and I had to kiss and I had never kissed on screen before. And, um, and so I go in for the kiss and I'm like, kiss, kiss. And she pushes me away and she's like, um, no tongue. And the whole crew is like, wow. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't, I didn't know. You want to <laughs> yeah, make it look real. I get it. Yeah. Well, yeah. no one teaches oh you gosh. all these little, th- these things until you're there and you stick your tongue into someone. Yeah. I mean, especially <laughs> back then there was, you know, we didn't have intimacy coordinators because it was the olden days. Um, you know, well, so yeah, no one taught me. That is a cute story. Though. I like that it's more I, ca- I want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you Amazing. have a new movie, right? And is it in post-production that you wrote, directed, and produced? Yeah. And, and you're in. Yeah, uh, passing through. It's called. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's uh, out to festivals now, and we'll see. We're waiting to see where it lands. But um, I am in it. Uh, Amy Ryan um, of Ooh. many many things is in yeah, it. She's awesome. And you like writing, directing. Obviously, you like that as much as acting. Or I do. Yeah, I do. I've got a couple other things that I'm you know are in various stages of not happening. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but you know, eventually they will. You know, everything, as you know, moves like as a, at a snail's play, pace, and then it you know takes off. But yeah, I'm I'm trying to direct more actually than um, uh, I've got a you know a couple of writing projects, but like directing is the thing that I really love because it I don't know it just brings together so many things that I love to do, you know, work with actors, work with people, um, create like a positive, safe environment where people can sort of shine and do their best. I mean, that sounds so ridiculously lofty. 
but I just, I like people and I like, you know, it's, uh, I, I love, you know, making almost love was, uh, it nearly killed me because it was so intense and so hard, but like, I've never been so energized and present and happy than in that month that we shot that. Oh, that's awesome. You should direct an SVU. That's exactly what you get you in there. (laughs) You know, that's Chad Lowe's first directing um, was. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And now he directs all over the, all over the place. I know. He's such a good guy. Wait, do you want to tell us really about, also about the accidental wolf? Is what, that's like a project that's going on for you? Yeah. So the accidental wolf uh, was created by Ariane Moyet, who is uh, Stewie on Succession. I uh, thought you were going to say family guy. And I was like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> Stewie, right? Yeah, he's Stewie. Um, and he's an amazing, you know, he's nominated for Tony for his work on Broadway. Years ago, he had this idea for this thriller series. And he's like, here's the pilot script. Kelly O'Hara is going to play your wife. You're this couple that gets sort of... Um, uh, pulled into what appears to be like a phone scam, but it's actually uh, it's actually a, a bigger web of intrigue that he was able to raise the money and develop into three seasons um, with a remarkable cast. Like it's Kelly O'Hara and Judith Light plays my mom and Dennis O'Hare and Laurie Metcalf. It's like a who's who yeah. of like, of like Arian, talk about people who knows people and like has a lot of friends. Arian is like fantastic because he's just an amazing guy. And people are like, yeah, I'll come out for, you know, 150 bucks and play for a day or whatever. And so season three takes us deeper into this web. Uh, Kelly, who's my wife, um, is trying to rescue uh, the person that she perceives to be at the end of this this fake scam phone call. Uh, I play her husband, Bradley, who's a real douchebag, um, <laughs> running for Congress. And, uh, uh, but it's, uh, it's a high stakes, high action, high octane thriller on topic, which, um, which is one of the new streaming services that uh, I think people enjoy it. It's like, it's very digestible in that, like it moves very quickly, very like short sort of, chapters that, you know, that are sort of, um, you know, compel you to press next episode. Amazing. Yeah. Bingeable. (laughs) Love that. We had a blast talking to you. I feel like we could talk to you for another two hours, but um, it was so fun fun. to talk to you. Yeah, it's such a um, fun walk down memory lane. Good. Thank you. And thank you for all the tidbits and little moments because we we don't always get those. So thank you for remembering. The listeners are going to love that stuff. So that's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, the show is great. I listened to, I listened to a couple episodes before I came on and, Mm -hmm. you know, just so I get a sense and like you have, you have a, it's a, you have a nice uh, dynamic and rapport (laughs) and like you you get your guests to say some great, and hopefully not too incriminating things. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think we could hang out with him? <laughs> yeah, it feels... I mean, we have a mutual friend. It feels like we could. I don't know. Um, he is so cool, creative, looks amazing for his age, fun, charismatic. No wonder he's so popular. Great memory and an overall great guest. And yes. cast. I mean, well, it's annoying we can't say he's a cast member because he is. 
No, full, yeah, you full know. cast member, but just not in the, let's just say not in the opening pack shot. Never in the opening shot. Well, yeah. and I'm sure the deal wasn't as good. Listen, as someone that's now a guest star, not a recurring, there's a difference. But <laughs> in our heart, he is um, the cast. What am I even saying? I don't even know anymore. But yeah, well, that was. It was just a treat. Yeah. And this episode, listen, I appreciate that SVU has been on for 24 seasons. I think they can drive a little bit off the side of the road sometimes. And that's definitely what this episode is. It's like the wildest, most unhinged twists. But yeah, you know. I just want to know what Neil Bear and everyone was thinking of like, we need a Stucky. We need someone to drive. Like, I wonder what the discussion was, what the motivation was to have someone so annoying and incompetent and an evil break, like, and why they really wanted to kill someone because yeah. it was the season finale. So they really wanted to end with a bang. Like, I wonder if there was a lot of discussion. It's just, uh, it's interesting how they decided to irk all the detectives with Stucky. Yes. Yeah. How they brought in this, like, truly cartoonish character and then made him not only the wildest, like, attitude and person, but then also made him a murderer, and a full psychopath. But I guess, you know, he's an example of, of of what happens when you bully someone too much, I suppose. Everybody, uh, just be a little kinder to the Stucky in your life or they'll probably kill you. Um, yeah, but, but he was unwilling to learn either because it was like he was rude in other episodes and Sabler kept trying to help him. Like, yeah. can you not make fun of the baby in the shallow grave, please? Like, yes. like stop hitting her with the yeah. shovel. Yeah. And then... <laughs> He does it again. And it's like, ah, the, the camera's bullshit. You know, it's like he keeps not learning. Because if he was annoying but was like, got it, boss, and changed or Yeah, he doesn't have the sensitivity chip. You know how Jennifer Aniston used to say Brad Pitt was like missing a sensitivity chip or something like that? I think that's what Stucky's missing as well. Doesn't have it. I forgot about that. That was, doesn't that was a big pop culture. Big moment. <laughs> It, that was a huge moment that he fucking left her. I bet he regrets it. Well, no, because now he has all these kids I'm sure he really loves, but I bet he regrets what he did to Aniston now that he's like yeah, an alcoholic with terrible tattoos, you know? Who's like in a lawsuit with his wife over their vineyard. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what other postmortem... F- like takeaways we have from this episode because it is well, so wild. I guess know like, your friends, know your friends, and if someone says they're eating something they shouldn't be eating, you call the authorities. If yes. someone's not there or answer, yeah, but that <laughs> happened once where you weren't answering any calls or texts, and I don't think Jared was either. And I got into my car to drive to your house, and then finally Jared's like, "She's sleeping," and I went, "Okay, well that's fine," but it just. <laughs> doesn't make sense to what her person... So I got in my car to go to your house. I didn't know what was going to happen. I love it. You were going to face off against my Stucky. (laughs) Kind of. Well, because, you know, if I slept in, it would be a little different. But for you... Because it was also in the afternoon. So you would have... But you were sick. You had COVID or something. Yeah. It made sense. (laughs) But um, once finally uh, Jared was able to respond, but in that moment, I was like... Uh, something, something's up. That's something's so funny. Up. Yeah, I was texting and calling know. Lauren. I was like, do you know what's going on? And you were just like sleeping, which is a normal <laughs> so human funny. activity. Everyone deserves rest. I just, it was not. I am usually quite responsive and I'm usually never sleeping. And I usually have COVID too. So yeah, it's it was a weird combo. But yeah, also, 
I mean, I don't know. This episode did have a lot of like, there was like some, you know, there was a lot about mental illness that that is really, um, it brought a lot of that to light that was, um, well, it's you know. scary and sad. sad. And this is a controversial take. So, you know, but, you know, a lot of the people commenting about Kanye is very much like mental health issues do not make you anti-Black and anti-Semitic and, and, you know, misogynist or whatever. But then it's like, if you are suffering from schizophrenia, it might make you those things. Like you might, if you can think aliens are after you or, um, you know, satellites are following your every move, is that that big of a leap? And are we not? Yeah, like why would that like, be so? If you think exactly, if I, I agree with you, actually. I think if you can think that aliens are following, people are following you, then why could you not think that the Jews control the government? Like these are, these are tidbits you've read somewhere on the internet by people that are anti-Semitic. And now you're like manifesting, they're being manifested like into your mental illness, I feel like. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. It's, the Kanye thing is, is like very fucked up and sad. I don't, I think we need to stop giving him a platform is the problem. Yes, that's the thing. I, it's like, stop letting him on your shows for clicks, yeah. guys. Like put, you know, he needs like a, a, a 72 hour psych hold or something. Yeah. But I, but, and I also understand the position of like people that suffer from mental illness being like, don't lump me in with that guy. Like yes. I don't become racist. You can't say that. Sure. But then I'm also like, yeah, but you can't say it can't lead to this. Like, who fucking knows? I don't, I don't know. Well, right. I don't think we're saying, like, I, yeah, because I don't think anyone's saying all mentally, like, mental illness is anything from, like, you know, isn't it anything from, like, depression all the way to, like, complete disassociative fugue states? I mean, like, it's a spectrum. So it's like, yeah. no, we're not, no one's trying to lump anyone into any group, you know? I think it's like, you're just, I, I do think it's possible that part of this is, or that that maybe he does have these feelings somewhat deep down, but he's not like, but, but the mental illness is exacerbating like how vocal he's being, how, how violent he's being about it. Was I with you or someone else that we were talking about someone that ended up having Alzheimer's or a stroke and after the stroke, they just couldn't keep their inner thoughts in her anymore. Me, me. I have a family friend who had a stroke and like after he had a stroke, he just started saying, everything he thought like no small like any small fleeting thought that you'd be like wow thank god no one can get into my mind he was just pushing them all out so yeah and that's from a stroke you know i mean like i don't know things happen the the brain is a complex thing yeah i just stopped fucking with him years ago yeah so i same. guess the people that are newly distraught it's like weird yeah, before but- he was before he was anti-semitic he was like a narcissist asshole like i haven't liked him for a long time yeah yeah. Um, but you know whatever. But well, I but guess speak- we're giving him a platform now. Yeah, yeah, go now into we're giving the him a sister platform. Peg. Let's, Let's go. Let's go. There. But this leads us right into Sister Peg, our what would Sister Peg do segment, which you guys know is uh every week we try to give you guys an organization, a book, an article, a podcast, something to help, you know, uh inform more of what we talked about in today's episode. And this week we would like to point you towards the Treatment Advocacy Center, whose uh stated goal is to quote, eliminate barriers to the treatment of mental illness. Um, and the organization does a lot. They've created a manual for mental health professionals who are implementing assisted outpatient treatment that we talked about um, in the Kendra Webdale case. They offer volunteer opportunities and they advocate for the decriminalization of mental illness. And if you want more information about them, go over to treatmentadvocacycenter.org. And that, as always, will be linked to in our stories the day the episode is released and saved forever in a highlight on our Instagram called WWSPD. 
Thank you so much for that. And next week, our first time ever, we're doing a double header, double episodes. You got to watch that's double the homework, guys. Schedule it out. It's the holidays. You're going to have some extra time. Yeah, season 17, episodes 22 and 23, intersecting lives and heartfelt passages. Um, enjoy and feel sad. Have fun, guys. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedupppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedupppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.